Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. to the Hooked On podcast. We are one week further down the road to WrestleMania. Some would say a fast lane. Others, including our guest today, have called it a hard shoulder. I'm sure we're going to be talking a little bit more about the most recent pay-per-view and all things WrestleMania. Before I do, I need to introduce our two guests today. Well, one of them's not a guest. One of them's my co-host, my friend and my colleague. Here he is. He is showbiz Paul Benson. How you doing, Paul? I'm good, thank you, Rob. Hello, everybody. Hope things are going well today. I brought back your moniker then. I don't think I've done that since podcast one about calling showbiz Paul Benson, but I kind of like to bring it in every now and again. I quite like it. I think we should definitely keep it, at least until uh, until WrestleMania, and then maybe I'll give it up and abdicate to somebody else. Well, I bring in your um, little moniker just then, because I've got a couple for the other person I'm about to bring on. His official wrestling uh, title is the Twisted Genius. However, I don't know if he listened to the last podcast, in which I think I called him a massive prick. I'm not certain if that's my exact wording, but it was along those lines. And I did say, Dean Ayas, who I'm bringing on now, that I said it with love and affection and that you would see that as a compliment. I have been called plenty worse by people in the wrestling business, both uh, both at ringside and behind the scenes. So, you know, I can't argue. I got the sense that if I said, would you rather be called a nice guy or a prick, you would prefer to be called the latter. Oh, absolutely. Anyway, anyway, an official introduction, ladies and gentlemen, a, uh, a wrestling manager here on the UK scene, wrestling personality all round, good guy. <laughs> he is the Twisted Genius, Dean Ayas. Dean, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Rob. Very well. Very busy, but I'm, I'm keeping well and looking forward to, uh, to the season that is WrestleMania. Indeed, that's what we're all uh, here to talk about. And uh, in particular, one of the reasons you're with us, not just because you're a, a known entity in the British scene, is also you are part of Team Howe. And uh, it's been a, a little while since you've uh, done something for us, but uh, you're back on the team again. Indeed, we are back in Brighton um, after an absence of just over a year. Um, very much looking forward to it. Um, it should be it should be good. And. You know, if, if anyone is listening to this who was at the Brighton Royal Rumble party in 2016, it, look, let, let's let's not beat around the bush. It wasn't the greatest party ever, but you know what? We are going to make this WrestleMania party the greatest party ever um, because it's it's going to be it's going to be good. I'm going to be in charge. Everything's going to run fine. We've got great tech. We've got we've got WrestleMania live quizzes, parties, fancy dress the works it's going to be awesome I think it is safe to say Paul I'll hand over to you for this one that uh, some issues venue wise last time in Brighton but uh, it was to do with who was running things and uh, that is an old regime isn't it yeah yeah we might as well air the dirty laundry um, because it's fair to say we we went into Brighton and we didn't have the best of experience frankly I think the team that were running the venue there on, on the venue side were just a little bit you know they just didn't really understand what we needed from them and 
bit of a breakdown in communication which meant it, it didn't really work as well as it should have done but um we've been you know we've got there's a new team in place who are very experienced running these wrestling parties at other walkabouts they come highly recommended and they've been brilliant so far so couple that with uh dino in charge on from our end and i, I anticipate zero issues and a, a cracking return to form so it can match what we're doing around the rest of the country Let's just basically say that if the old regime were in North Korea, they'd have been taken to the beach and had an anti-aircraft missile fired at them. <laughs> right. Okay. This is a good time for me to come in and say that um, no one has ever accused DNAS of being PC. Okay. Um, but that's good. That's one of the reasons we love him. We actually did genuinely um, have a sort of a, a pre-podcast sort of production meeting, if you want to call that between us, where we went through a list of Ofcom swear words, which we can, which we can and can't say. So, classifications, people, from the strong to the weak. <laughs> it was mild. I think was it was like it's, it's done on mild, medium, strong, and strongest. A bit like cheddar. <laughs> this is how it's done but uh, we did that uh, so um, those of you that know Dean we, have, um, pr- we are going to try and stop him from saying a certain four letter word that begins with the F-U and ends in the K and I of course refer to Funk as in Terry Funk who um, I believe he managed once but he doesn't like to talk about it um, anyway but what did you say Paul about the, um, the 12A certificate don't say the word but um, you said something about like, what a 12A certificate needs the 12A certificate means you are uh, within the guidelines of a 12A certificate you are allowed to say the word funk um, three times in a non-aggressive manner so someone can say what the funk or um, what the funk is this but if you say you funking idiot then um, you can't say that in a 12A that's the guideline there we have it thank you very much for that uh, that tidied up update um, I assume you can talk about the Funkin' Dojo, though, in a, in a wrestling uh, in a wrestling context, which we may do later. Um, listen, let's uh, kind of introduce you, Dean, to, to everyone if they're, if they're unfamiliar with you. How do you describe yourself in terms of uh, your position in the British wrestling scene? Um, I do anything that doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be safe to say. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, been, I've been around the business since 1993. I've been a ring announcer, a manager... A commentator. Um, my main, the bulk of my work these days is commentating for IPW UK, um, who broadcast on Flow Slam and have their own on-demand service. Um, just, just lift the veil a little bit. The, the, uh, the intro you heard from this uh, on this podcast, Rob had to record twice because he fluffed the first one. I had to do, I had to do that very, that very same thing of, of doing an intro. Um, for uh, the first IPW UK Flow Slam show, except for it was live and going around the world, and I've never been so nervous in all my life. But I didn't fluff it, which was good. Um, so, I like the idea so, that people are listening to this going, Rob had to do that more than once. He did one that was worse than that, couldn't he? <laughs> his, first, his first one, if, if this intro was Fastlane, his first intro was Legends of Wrestling, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, so yeah, I do, I do that. Yeah, commentary is mainly what I do. Um, I do a little bit of managing for Premier Promotions, which is my home company as such. They sort of based in Sussex, where I live. Um, and and I also obviously uh, host the Hooked on Wrestling parties in in Brighton. Long may they continue. Absolutely, and um, it wasn't just by accident and just for the uh, just for the funny that I said about. Um, uh, 
what I may or may not have called you earlier on in this podcast as a, as a negative thing, because um, I don't think there are many people, you know, wherever they stand in the wrestling spectrum, that genuinely like getting booed. Um, some will say that they do, but secretly they like the sort of cool heel thing. You don't really have a problem with being hated, sir, do you? Oh, it's amazing. It's so much fun. I've I've been uh, apart from well apart from when I got punched in the face by a fan that was a little bit over the step in the mark, um, but yeah when you when you need a four man security escort to get to the back because fans are lobbing rubbish at you you think job done. <laughs> Fabulous. What um what made you into the um the, the character that you you did the, the, the you know the. The Twisted Genius. What made you um, push into that kind of thing? Because did you did you at any point sort of think, oh, I can be, I don't have to be an agitator or anything like that, but you'll uh, you'll be something a little bit more placid? Did you always want to go for this kind of thing? Um, I think so. I mean, I think even when I started out as as just as an MC, as a ring announcer, as, you know, I I always wanted wanted to kind of um to kind of you know get get into the the heel character kind of thing. I think I've I've always had a knack of uh, being able to antagonise people if I want to. So, you know, things like the old social media debates, uh, in, in maybe, you know, but I think my, my, uh, my, the real, the real life side, the real life twisted genius side to me is really, would have been seen, I don't know, on, on Facebook debates during the Brexit vote or something like that. <laughs> um, but, um, it's you know it's it's the old it's the old adage about you know it's bits of your bits of your real life character turned up you know by a hundred and then also bits of the complete and utter opposite of you you know so it's it's a mix of everything but it's it's basically it's just knowing knowing how to get a, a reaction out of people and it's I mean it's something I use every day anyway because in my in my day job I'm a I'm a people manager and you know one of the things I often have to think about is if we tell people this or we ask people to do such and such how are they going to react and that is exactly the same thing with the wrestling where you know you, you think if I do or say something how are people going to react and obviously you you want them to react in a certain way so the the uh, the two things you know real life and wrestling aren't, aren't mutually exclusive at all. No, I remember um, I remember you uh, writing something for us when we did Hooked on Wrestling magazine, short lived uh, venture. But we got you on board quite early in that one, and you you came and wrote some stuff for us. And I remember you particularly writing something quite early on about uh, being a manager and being. Well, you'll probably you'll explain it a lot better than me, but I remember you talking about something that Paul Heyman, I don't know if he told you about or you'd read Heyman say about it, but it was essentially your positioning in terms of a camera and that sort of thing. And I'd never thought of that sort of thing before, but it's it's obviously the manager aspects of wrestling. It's something that people don't always think about, but obviously something you've studied quite a bit. Yeah, um, what you're referring to is that is as the manager, um, you always want to be um, up the side of the ring that's facing the hard so you are facing the hard cam. Um, so that you know, whatever angle you're being viewed at on the on the the screen, they'll always be able to see your facial expression and your reactions and stuff. And that's just yeah, that's something I picked up from. Um, I think it's reading an interview with Paul Heyman. Um, yeah, it's there, yeah, it's it, it's lots. There's lots of of different elements to the to the manager role. That it's very hard to get everything. Right, and one—I mean, one of the reasons I kind of wound that side of things down was simply because um, people, the, the wrestlers themselves, are getting better and better, and the quality of the matches are getting better and better, and things are getting more complicated. And I was actually just 
end up forgetting forgetting things um, and kind of spoiling the match, and I, I wasn't wasn't able to kind of keep up with things anymore. So um, I'm quite happy to be um, to be commentating now. Um, but yeah, the, the shows that I do do as a manager um, in Premier, they're they're the sort of the more old old school style where you know things are at a different pace to the, the, the more modern things, and it's easier to kind of keep up. I guess it's hard finding a balance, is it sometimes? Because naturally, if there's a camera on you, you want to, you know, do your character really well, and you know, to use a bit of wrestling parlance to to get over and all that kind of thing. But as a manager, you're the you're secondary, aren't you? You're doing it for your wrestler. Yep. So if he's in the middle of the ring, you know, maybe doing a chin lock or some sort of thing, but it's part of the match and it's you know it's a bit of a, a lull period. You don't want the manager outside high fiving fans and doing cartwheels and setting off fireworks and all this kind of stuff because the actions in the ring still should be the main thing. So it's more about kind of reacting, I suppose, isn't it, rather than drawing attention to you? Yeah, I mean, if if there's, yeah, let's say the example there that someone's got you know, a chin lock on their opponent, if the crowd, if the crowd are, are up and are noisy and are engaged, then, you know, all you do is you're just looking, you're just staring at the, the action and, you know, as if you're a football coach, you're just, you know, making out, you're looking at how he's got that executed and whatnot. If you know, if you feel that the crowd are are down and need to to pick up a bit, that's when you know, and your guys in control, that's when you'd be saying to the fans, you know, either you know, look at your hero now, how's he doing, or oh look, you've all suddenly gone quiet, or how, you, know, you just basically mock them for the fact. It's it's basically the um it's basically the wrestling equivalent of the football chant. If you're not singing anymore, you know, it's mm. just to get people reacting. Indeed. Um, when we let's go back to quickly talking about the uh, uh, this, the show at Brighton. So you'll be hosting our WrestleMania thing uh, there in, in Brighton. Um, how can you take some of your uh, your commentating duties and your sort of managing duties and turn them into into hosting? Because you're you're probably in a better position than a lot of people to to do that. Because I've done things from the um, uh, the sort of journalistic side of things. I've done quite a bit of hosting, but I've kind of learned as I go along. And then someone like Doug, who we had on the podcast earlier on in the week, Doug Williams, will be hosting for us. Um, in Cardiff, um, Doug's a wrestler and obviously has done some promos and that kind of thing, but he's still not been a, a host necessarily. Although you know we've spoken to him, he's going to do a fantastic job. You're quite positioned, I would have thought, to be pretty good at it. I would hope so. Um, I mean, it's most similar to being an MC because mm. when you're MC in a show, you know you're the you're the first person the fans see, you're the last person they see. You are holding things together. You are the you are the host of the show essentially, um, and you know you'll be obviously you'll have the matches in in the show but you are the, the link between all of the matches you tell them when there's an interval, you tell them when the, the, the show's back, so it's it's very similar in that respect, except for obviously this is uh, out over a longer period of time and, and hopefully there won't be anyone fighting uh, in the venue <laughs> um, This is I think a good point to do uh, a uh small plug Paul for the um, for the shows we'll save some of the heavy plugging for a bit, little bit later on but uh, if people have you know, had their interest piqued by talking about this if they're in the Brighton area or indeed one of the uh, other areas where we're running some Wrestlemania parties um, tell people how they can get involved well like, I, like you say let's keep it light for now but very simply guys we're doing eight parties around the country for Wrestlemania on April the 2nd uh, Brighton we've talked about Walkabout on West Street we're also doing London which is our kind of flagship party the longest running one and Walkabout also at Temple um, and then we're running six um, parties at Shooters bars around the country in Manchester, in Leeds, in Liverpool, in Cardiff, in Birmingham um, and for the first time in uh, Nottingham in a bar that hasn't even opened yet. It opens on March the 18th. Um, 
So eight parties in total, and you can get those tickets for all the events from ringsideworld.co.uk. Um, I'd advise you now to start, if you're going to come, start thinking about getting those tickets booked seriously, because now we are starting to properly fill up in some of the venues, particularly Manchester, where we're probably only about 60 tickets off capacity. Wow. Um, and London, where we are within 200 of capacity, which sounds a lot more than Manchester, but those tickets fly out the door at a rate of knots, and it's a much bigger venue. We've already sold just shy of, uh, what would it be, just shy of 400 tickets um, for that for that party. So, um, if you're going to be on, if you're on the fence, make your minds up and buy early, because particularly in those two venues, and probably Cardiff as well, maybe Leeds. Um, you ain't going to buy on the door. It's going to be sold out ahead of time. Excellent I also stuff. start thinking about your fancy dress costume. Good point. Correct. Good point, because we're, we're getting closer. Um, Dean brought up some of the things that, uh, that go on at our Hooked on Wrestling uh, parties, um, in the sense of the quiz and the fancy dress are two of the, the bigger uh, elements that we have. Now, I always push this, that fancy dress is encouraged, but it is not compulsory. Um, most people tend to come along wearing a wrestling shirt, um, that they may have or that uh, they may have had made for them um, but they come along um, but there's usually a good sprinkling of fancy dress costumes um, and we will invite the better ones or indeed all of them to come up and uh, parade what they've done and we will give a prize to the best and often the second um, it will not necessarily be the best costume sometimes it's about embodying your character doing a promo all that sort of thing um, so uh, do bear that in mind as, uh, as Dean points out there start to get it together and try as much as you can to be um, fairly original we've seen a lot of Hogan's and Savage's and Bray Wyatt's and various others that are uh, reasonably straightforward our final two in London I can speak for at the Royal Rumble party were The Miz and Sabu and they were both really really excellent and would have probably won most of the uh, previous fancy dress competitions we'd done um, in the end one of them had to lose but they were very very good quality indeed and it was a lot to do with the effort that they put in the little extras Miz had a, um, <laughs> a blow up doll let's face it um, that was acting as Maurice but he's, he's still, his costume and his mannerisms were good Sabu, and had, Sabu uh, didn't talk to anybody Oh, well he didn't that's true he didn't talk to anyone but he did bring along a chair which had some fake barbed wire wrapped around it and uh, it was um, it was good actually when he came on wearing his uh, bizarre hey, head hang on how, how do you get that past security <laughs> uh, he, uh, he ran it by us first and we were able to uh, sort it out for him it wasn't a problem but when he came on in the uh, in the uh, in the headdress and not saying anything I thought it was uh, I thought it had come as Dean Ayas but uh, it turned out turned out it was uh, it was an actual wrestler and, and can I just say that if anyone um, turns up to the Brighton one dressed as Terry Funk they are not guaranteed a victory but it will help their cause <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's get that out of the way then before I want to move on to some Wrestlemania stuff but let's um, let's just talk about that what this is this is a very very in it's about as in jokey as we can go um, but there will be less people listening to this that know us and know Dean and know what we're talking about but essentially I'll, I'll, I'll tell the brief story and you can tell a little bit longer version but you managed Terry Funk once and you mention it every now and again on social media and now the fact that you mention it often you probably haven't mentioned it in about four years but now other people bring up the fact that you mention it quite a lot and that's become a bit of an ongoing thing it, it is yeah it is a running joke now that um, I, I once managed Terry Funk and don't like to talk about it yes it so, was uh, FWA British Uprising 3 back in oh it must have been about ten years ago no more than that long time but I am giving you the, um, the the format now to um, talk about it, albeit briefly. So if you do want to uh, tell us what it was like, it was wonderful. It was a, it was a, a six man tag, which was uh, Paul Burchill, who was about to go on to bigger and better things in the WWE, 
Paul Travell and Terry Funk managed by myself against um, Thunder who is the son of Tony Banger Walsh Darren Walsh um, Raj Ghosh and the late great Drew McDonald who's marvellous um, and they were managed by Greg Lambert who's still knocked around today and is a good friend of mine um, and it was just it was a the match itself was just a, a six-man cluster, um, but it was it was just great fun to to be in the same um, in the same ring as as a man who I later discovered was actually the NWA World Heavyweight Champion on the day that I was born. Oh, well, that's a good uh, good little stat. And I think um, Greg Lambert, I'm thinking I'm right in saying Paul came to our first ever Rumble party. I think that's true. He, just, he, just he did indeed. He did indeed. That's right. He came along. Signed a few copies. Uh, yeah, first time I met him, he was a really good guy. Bringing it back into uh, into how there. I, I could also tell several Terry Funk stories, but unfortunately they're all um, they're all very strong cheddar, shall we say? <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're, they're Cathedral City as opposed to mozzarella. <laughs> well, okay, well mozzarella's not cheddar, but yeah, okay, no no problem. Um, I want to talk about some uh, some WrestleManias, and before we go on to this year's, and indeed before we get into you uh, being our guest judge on this week's WrestleMania mixtape, um, uh, I want to talk about going to WrestleMania in person. Paul and I have each done uh, one. You, I believe, have done a couple of Manias. Which one have you been to? I have done two. Um, one which I planned to go to, and one which I didn't, and got in for free, which is marvellous. Um, They're the first best ones. Absolutely. The first one um, was in 2002. Is on St. Patrick's Day. I remember now, 2002, which was WrestleMania 18 in Toronto. Oh, nice. Uh, Rock v. Hogan, anyone? Oh, it was rather good. Um, wow. And um, it was rather good, and it was in Canada rather than America, which is even better for me, um, because even back then, a man with a uh, surname such as mine would be subject to vigorous searching at the airport. Yeah, you've got no chance now, pal. You're going to oh. have to wait until the next mania in, uh, in in Canada or anywhere else, I think. I, I have I have previously said, and I, I stand by this, that I will not visit America while that complete lunatic is in charge. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. You've not got a choice, though. Me and Paul have got a choice. You'd get thrown out. So it's... <laughs> And I'd just like to say they, these views are mine and not necessarily those of Hooked on Wrestling, who may or may not think that Donald Trump um, but that was yeah, absolutely fantastic. Sixty-seven, sixty-eight thousand people in the in the um, Sky Dome, and um, we we uh, we went thinking that the crowd would be sort of fifty-fifty split. And my God, it was like ninety-five percent Hulk Hogan. It was incredible. Um, it was it's the only time I can think that actually the the level of the, this wall of noise was so much that. You couldn't quite hear yourself, and all you just had this constant kind of high-pitched hum in your ears, just from the, the constant noise of all those people. It was just absolutely amazing, and it it was one of those genuine hair standing on the back of your neck moments um, and, and goosebumps sort of thing. It was it was just phenomenal, and to watch to watch Hulk Hogan and how he literally makes every single movement that he does mean something and get a reaction was just amazing um, and you know it was it was by and large it was a one match card um, because that's the only thing anyone really remembers I mean Chris Jericho and Triple H was on last and no one really bothered with that because everyone had been burnt out by Hogan and Rock but that, that was just absolutely fantastic um the second one that I went to, I wasn't meant to go to, but it was WrestleMania 23 in Detroit. 
um, when um, Simon Rothstein, who is now with TNA UK, but at the time was working for The Sun, um, he was one of the, the Littles boys, as they called them, who had also been doing talk sport radio with me previously. Um, and the other Lil's boy couldn't make it because I think he had a pregnant wife who was about to give birth at any moment. He didn't really want to be halfway across the world when she uh, dropped anchor and such. So um, he basically just said, if anyone can fly themselves out, everything else is sorted out. So um, I flew myself out and we ended up, we were in the same hotel as um, all the wrestlers and the, the, the legends and that. So... Like one morning we were having breakfast with the fabulous Moody and May Young, and the next day I was in the swimming pool with Arn Anderson, which I obviously wasn't going. Oh my God, it's Arn Anderson too much. Um, and uh, we were there with J.K. and Joel, who were on Radio One at the time because they'd done a Joel. Joel had managed to blag his way into Radio One doing a competition where they took some two competition winners and their friends out to WrestleMania as a prize, and obviously that meant that J.K. and Joel went out there as well. Um, JK knew absolutely nothing about wrestling but by the end of his few days with us he was able to go oh look there's Nick Bockwinkle when he spotted him in the foyer um, so that, that was a great learning curve for him um, and um, am I allowed to tell the story about the Rio Prize winner on Radio uh, 1 please do I will just say that you can say that uh, JK knew precious little about wrestling I'm not sure his co-host knows all that much more but uh, <laughs> <laughs> hi Joel if you're listening um, right. Yes, you may tell the other story. Um, I've heard this from Joel and from Simon, um, so I'm <laughs> delighted that you're with us and you're able to tell this story. Um, please be aware, everybody, if you think something is um, libelous or, or slander or any kind of defamation, um, the best defence for it is that it's true. So um, you cannot libel if it is true, so Dean is about to tell a true story. Um, yes, well, the, uh, the, the one of the prize winners was was a young lad, I'd say, sort of late teens, early twenties, and he took a, you know, one of his mates out with him. There's the two of them there, and um, basically the the night of the Hall of Fame ceremony, that was the year that I think Jerry Lawler was induct, might have been inducted, and um, the Sheik was, and so was uh, Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig, um, and we uh, discovered the following day that one of the competition winners had in fact um, spent the night with, uh, with Kurt Hennig's daughter um, <laughs> who was of age she, oh god yes yes A she was of age and B she looked disturbingly like her father even down to the same hair um and, and Joel was very, um, very eager to point out too, because um, they had a, a one of the management from Radio One there chaperoning everything as well. And Joel was very keen to point out to management that um, that am I allowed to say? Well, I don't know what word I'm allowed to say here. Um, am, am I, oh dear, how, how do I get around this? Am I? The, you, you know, um, <clears throat> there's there's a, a certain type of carpet. <laughs> gone, you've gone this far. You've gone Go on, this far. Go um, basically, Joel was uh, very keen to point out that shagging one of the uh, Hall of Fame inductees' family is not actually part of the prize. Just <laughs> in case, you know, someone's expectations weren't managed the next um, the next year. Um, but yeah, that it, it, she she looked a bit too much like uh, any for my liking. Yeah, you know, I could just imagine that you know, just at the crucial moment, you just get da 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 into your head, and, and the moment would be lost. Um, <laughs> I think two things about that. One is um, <laughs> I'd like to know if her hair went as frizzy about 15 minutes in, like Kurt's. 
and uh, just when it's all finished, would she uh, throw you a towel, but uh, but from behind her back? So uh, that's my observation. There's also something um, I've thought of, but it's probably unbroadcast. Yeah, let's move on. Let's move on. So uh, (laughs) anything else about that particular? uh, WrestleMania. That, I, what matches were on that one? I, I'm pretty, I'm losing that, my. I've watched so many manias just lately. I'm losing my uh, my track a little bit. That was um, Undertaker and Batista and oh, Shawn Cena and Sean. Yep, Shawn Michaels and um, John Cena. Just before the match is about to begin, I think as the ring announcer is about to introduce them, some bloke leaps over the barriers, pulls his trousers down to be where it's shown that he's wearing Union Jack pants and tries to run into the ring and is then dragged off by this massive security guard who um, Joel had seen having a manicure earlier on in the day. Um, <laughs> must have been wondering, you know, what, just hoping that his, his, uh, the handiwork hadn't been ruined by this, uh, this thug <laughs> to get his five minutes of fame. Brilliant. What, uh, what an odd se- section of stories about WrestleMania. <laughs> Not very little about the wrestling, but that's fine. Um, actually, bring you say that making it uh, about that particular mania. Well, the, the best match was Kurt, um, the best match was for me was uh, MVP v Chris Benoit, but we're not allowed to talk about him anymore because he doesn't exist. Um, no, we can we can talk about him on this podcast as long as it's sensible and respectful and uh, it's done in the right context. I bring him up every now and again at our Hooked on Wrestling parties because the reason I bring him up is to tell people to stop calling your quiz team Quiz Benoit. It's not funny, it's not original, and actually I should probably stop doing this because I think the more I do it, the more they do it. But uh, <laughs> you will yeah. not win any t- team name prizes in your quiz for being Quiz Benoit, nor will you, for that matter, for calling it Edge and Quiz Team or anything else that's along those lines. Basically, don't use the word quiz. What about um, Missy Quizabeth? Missy Quizabeth is, is... I haven't heard that. That's better. That's a new one. I'm still going to say no uses of the word quiz in your quiz team name as a pun on a wrestler. Although I did point out that uh, at the uh, the last um, one we did, um, we had a record number of the quiz of Jericho's or the list of Quizico or a various different things like that. And we also had a record number of stupid idiots. That wasn't people using that as a team name just a record number of stupid idiots um, <laughs> that's actually not true it was just a joke I used on the night um, but the, that particular Wrestlemania what it brings to my mind mainly is that I was working for the Sun at the time um, uh. and so I'm interested that you got to go to that Wrestlemania and I didn't um, but it does bring into my mind that the first wrestling to be fair I hadn't been there very long because the first wrestling show I ever went to um, as a, a journalist and not as a fan was the Raw that was on uh, in London a few weeks after that, which I can also point out was on Paul Benson's birthday. Is that right? Hooray! Yes, it is. Because it's St George's Day, that's how I remember that. Um, Correct. And it was in uh, Earl's Court, and it was when Sean and Cena uh, went nearly an hour. It was actually just oh. un- it was just under an hour, but it was made to look like an hour once they put uh, uh, ads in on TV. Yeah. Uh, so that's the first one I went to. It's also the first time I met Joel. So there's there's some things that have uh, played into my timeline there, but it does mean yep. I didn't get to go to that menu, and perhaps I should have. Maybe. Do you know, I've never been to Monday Night Raw. I've been to two SmackDowns, I've been to two WrestleManias, I've been to SummerSlam, but I've never been to Monday Night Raw. However, this uh, this time around, Monday Night Raw at the O2 falls on my birthday. So I've decided to say, sod it, and I'm just basically booked two days off work, and I'm going to go to the O2, get very drunk, and watch. I have been to... Um... Uh, the O2 on my birthday to watch a Smackdown my birthday's in April and I went to watch a Smackdown in my, on my birthday and uh, I got given two tickets quite late on uh, sort of literally on the morning of I happened to be in I was staying with my uh, family in Cambridgeshire 
and I got a call saying, do you want to go to the O2 for tonight for Smackdown? So I went, okay, fine. So I took those two tickets, and uh, I went down there, and then quite soon after uh, I made my way down there, the bloke I was going to take with me, my mate, said he couldn't come. So I ended up uh, on my own, on my birthday, <laughs> watching wrestling. Um, I think I may have put a tweet out, and a few people came and had a drink with me. It was a sort of, a sort oh, of bless. Quite, quite a strange night. But we, um, In fact, I, you, you know what, I'm, I, I would like to lay down a challenge on, on social media here. I want, if, if anyone can get a happy birthday Twisted Genius or happy birthday Dinaeus sign on Raw, on May the 8th, on, in London, I will, I don't know, donate something to a charity of their choice or someone like that. As will we. I'll back that up. Hooked on Wrestling will do something um, if that's Challenge nice. accepted. Happy birthday, Twisted Genius. Or some uh, variant on that sign that doesn't get confiscated would be yes. uh, would be uh, most enjoyable um, let's move on to some uh, to some uh, more Wrestlemania current Wrestlemania t- in fact let's not let's do the Wrestlemania mixtape I enjoy that as, the, as part of this podcast we, do, we normally leave it till later on so it gives you a chance Dean to be a to be judge, jury, and executioner as far as this WrestleMania um, game goes. Let me explain. We're back it to, to North Korea again, aren't we? <laughs> Indeed, one person unilateral. Um, let's explain it to everybody. Um, the game is well. It started from Paul said. Paul admitted to me that he'd never seen WrestleManias one and two. So I decided he had to watch it, and then I came up with the idea, not only has he got to watch 1 and 2, he has to watch every WrestleMania in order from 1 to 32 before WrestleMania 33. We started this just after the Rumble. Um, Because he has nothing to do with his time, does he? He uses it creatively. I am told, um, and he he has also, Dean, in the interim, been on holiday and watched some wrestling on his holiday and has not yet had a divorce. So um, it's a testament, I think, to how nice Paul's wife is, more than anything else. But uh, how, how many WrestleManias have you now watched, sir? What are we up to? Uh, 14. We're up to now. 14. Excellent. So oh, you've done some busy work then in the last few days, because we only spoke to, uh, to Doug Williams on the podcast about three or four days ago. So well, we did. To be, to be completely honest and open, we missed. I, I was actually a couple ahead when we got to that podcast but I wanted to hold a couple back so we could keep yeah. it nice and balanced that's quite bright actually that's quite bright of you uh, unexpectedly so anyway the, uh, <laughs> w- what we have turned this into Dean is a little competition so we are putting something together which I am calling the Wrestlemania mixtape that okay. is if you were taking someone to Wrestlemania 33 who had never seen wrestling who had never seen Wrestlemania before the tell, we are going to tell the story of Wrestlemania with one match per show so it doesn't have to be the best match doesn't have to be the most historically significant but it has to be the match which typifies that Wrestlemania and that someone could sit and watch and understand a linear story of Wrestlemania from 1 to 32 via the medium of one match per show here is the list of the matches that we have so far from Wrestlemania 1 to 10 that we've done so far we have Hogan and Mr. T versus Piper and Orndorff the British Bulldogs versus the Dream Team Hogan versus Andre the Giant Randy Savage versus Ted DiBiase the Ultimate Warrior versus Rick Rude Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan Undertaker versus Jimmy Snooker Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper the Steiner Brothers versus the Head Shrinkers and Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon that is 1 to 10 um, how we play the game is Paul uh, on this occasion we're starting with WrestleMania 11 today Paul does the odd numbers so Paul will select a match that he would like to put forward I will then rebut with my choice and Dean you will make the decision as to what goes on the mixtape and then we will swap over for WrestleMania's 12 and 14 where I go first we're going to do four today so is everything alright with that are you happy donning the, uh, donning the stripes and being the zebra for this particular encounter 
Eddie, so we're doing 11, 12, 13 and 14. We're going to do 11 to 14, yeah, because uh, that's what he's watched it up to, so I want to try and get us uh, pushing far ahead. You're not even halfway, man, by the way. I should point out you've got a lot of watching to do in the next few weeks. That's good job. I've got a lot of patience then, isn't it? <laughs> indeed, indeed. Right, it's WrestleMania 11, and you're to go first. Okay, mate. Well, I, I ummed and ahed between a couple um, on this card, to be honest, but in the end I decided that... Um, what is the essence of WrestleMania? Um, the essence of WrestleMania is big stars, big matches, unique spectacles, and interesting moments. And for me, the one that stood out on, on WrestleMania 11 was was um, the match that pitted Bam Bam Bigelow against the NFL's Lawrence Taylor. Um, it was the main event. It was the first time since WrestleMania 1 um, that the WWE had had such a prominent celebrity and make no mistake Lawrence Taylor was a big big celebrity in the States at the time in such a prominent position um, the match itself was surprisingly decent you know the guy's an athlete Taylor's an athlete an NFL player and acquitted himself very well Bigelow is an extremely competent worker arguably the best big man worker of all time um, it came across like a really decent good honest to goodness Wrestlemania moment you had all you had salt and pepper involved you had all those NFL players on the outside including Steve McMichael's Wrestlemania debut mm-hmm. um, and I just thought it was it was Wrestlemania of that time incarnate so I'm going with LT against Bam Bam a fine choice uh, an understandable one and an obvious one I think um, not what I'm going to choose obviously um, and not what I would have chosen uh, I'm going to go with the WWF title match from that show, which was Shawn Michaels versus Diesel. Um, it's up there with one of Kevin Nash's better matches. Um, some cynically might say that that's a short list, but I would argue that with, uh, with good opponents, um, he was capable of some good matches. I particularly think that uh, Diesel's best match anyway, as I'm not so familiar with uh, Kevin Nash's WCW Earther as I am in the, is in the World Wrestling Federation, but I would say his best um, match he had was with Bret Hart at Survivor Series 96, 95, 95. Five, 95. Um, yeah, because he was in WCW by 96. So yeah, Survivor Series 95 was an excellent match. But the one with Sean at WrestleMania 11 um, was right up there. And the reason I'm choosing it for this list is because this is a story. The list of WrestleMania matches is a linear story from one to the end. And um, while I wouldn't say that every single one of his matches has to be in there, um, the whole Mr. WrestleMania thing about Shawn Michaels... I actually think is more of an outside of the business and in, well outside of the television product than inside, um, because to me, if you're being you know sporty about things, Sean has lost a lot of WrestleMania matches, but in terms of what he has brought to the table um, from a, a different perspective, he clearly has had the probably the best portfolio of, of matches that are out there. We put in Sean versus Razor, which was more about the ladder match getting introduced to uh, the world as opposed to anything else. This was, I think, Sean's coming of age. This was Sean's. Um, previous to that, he was always a little bit over the top, little bit cartoony, and I'm not that didn't necessarily go away during his career. But this was the match where he really stood up. He took it by the scruff of the neck. Um, he was the star of this match, um, almost too much so at the time. Um, but it would be within, I think, 24 hours that uh, maybe it was the following week that um, that Sid turned on him. Sid was Sean's second during this match. Uh, Sid would turn on him, and when Sean came back after a hiatus. Um, he was a babyface and was off to the races and then obviously the following Wrestlemania oh we might get to that shortly um, but I am going with Shawn Michaels versus Diesel as my choice um, partially because uh, I would say that there was a lot of onus on 
LT and Bam Bam to kind of sell the pay-per-view. And my understanding is it wasn't a brilliant uh, drawing you know, buy rate for the show. And indeed, if you didn't see it, you're not necessarily missing much, although I do agree um, with my, uh, my learned friend, Mr. Benson, that uh, it was a very good match for a celebrity encounter. So uh, I'm going with Sean versus Diesel. Dean, over to you. Uh, well, two, two interesting choices. Um, I think one thing you've got to bear in mind is that to this day, Lawrence Taylor says that it was one of the biggest mistakes of his life. He'd never want to do anything in wrestling again, and he hated it. Um, and you also had the fact that the main event had um, the non-wrestler beating the wrestler, which really doesn't ever look good um, in 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 you know the light of of the, the long run, I suppose. But it also did have the big match feel. It is you know it is the celebrity endorsement. It is the first it is the first WrestleMania in a, in a long time that the WWF um, had you know mainstream publicity. Um, on the other hand. With Diesel and and Shawn Michaels match, um, what you got to also remember is that I remember watching this at the time, and what you have to bear in mind is that I was 18 years old, and Pamela Anderson and Jenny McCarthy were in the same place at the same time, um, <laughs> clothed or otherwise. It, you know, who cares? They were there. Um, so you know, you had that celebrity endorsement as well. You also had Shawn Michaels. Um, you know, putting on a, a stellar performance. And the other thing to bear in mind is it's highly likely that they were both absolutely off their tits and still managed to do a 20 minute match that was very, very good. So, um, because of all that, I will go with uh, Diesel against Shawn Michaels. Ooh. That's a bit unexpected. Of an, a bit of an unexpected victory there. I, th- I didn't necessarily think I was going to uh, prevail on that one, but. Uh, excellent stuff I've actually pulled it back to 6-5 as an overall tally that we're kind of keeping about who gets the most matches in I've pulled it back to 6-5 after a terrible nil 3 start um, I'm sort of back in it um, you mentioned the uh, the celebrity involvement I'm disappointed you didn't mention NYPD Blues Nicholas Turturro or indeed Home Improvement's Jonathan Taylor Thomas who uh, as I recall were the other uh, celebrities on this but um, I threw in a, a bit of an obscure question I, I, I last say, got... that's probably because um, I didn't watch uh, was it NYPD Blues in you say? Yeah, yeah. I didn't watch NYPD Blue um, nor did I watch Home Improvement however back when I was 18 I did watch a lot of Pamela Anderson and Jenny McCarthy material well Dean if you had have watched Home Improvement you would have known that the first TV show that Pamela Anderson was featured in in the, in, uh, the US was indeed Home Improvement ah, she played Tim, Tim, what's it? Tim the Toolman Taylor's Dolly Bird on his TV show. I will say, Tim the Toolman Taylor sounds like an excellent late 80s jobber. Yeah, <laughs> uh, would have been in the AWA or something. Tim the Toolman Taylor <laughs> losing to uh, I don't know Scott Hall or something. Um, yeah, Here's my bit of uh, mainstream trivia. I, I seem to remember I, I threw something in. La- on last time, my weird trivia was about Alex the Pug Porto. This time, I'm doing uh, a bit of trivia about Jonathan Taylor Thomas, um, who is uh, known for being in uh, Home Improvement, according to WrestleMania 11. Um, but he is the voice of which famous character in a major film? Ooh. I have no idea. Or I should say it's the, the, the younger version of the character before the... Uh, Give- it's an animal in a Disney film. 
Um, it's Simba. It it's got to be Simba. It is. He is the voice of young Simba in the Lion King. Wow. There you go. It's a nice little bit of extra trip for you. Boring, Good knowledge. but a uh, bit interesting, if you can see my point. And we will move on to the uh, next WrestleMania, which is WrestleMania 12. Uh, and is, is one where I get to go first. Um, this is a difficult decision for me in, in, in one way and not in another. Um, I'm going to choose the Iron Man match between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart for the, uh, for the WWF title that, that Shawn won, the boyhood dream coming true, etc. Um, I am choosing this basically because there's no competition to it on the, uh, on the show. Um, I have here's a, here's a clang for everyone. I have worked with both Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Um, I think they are the two best in-ring performers of all time. Sorry, Ric Flair and others, but I think that Shawn and Bret are the best two ever. Um, what about Terry Funk? <laughs> uh, he would be he would be strong but um, those are my two favourites anyway um, but I think this is way down both of their lists of best matches of all time despite how it is built up um, by WWF and indeed sometimes by the participants um, I think it's okay it's pretty good it was totally revolutionary in terms of you know something like a Wrestlemania giving up essentially a third of their broadcast or more to one single match that probably said more about the, the lack of depth than anything else but um, it's only okay, I think. I don't think it's particularly brilliant. I don't think it's particularly memorable apart from the overtime bit at the end. Um, it has to go in this list because it, it is what... Um, it is Sean's... You know, I said about his coming of age being the Diesel match, but this is the, the moment where he finally gets the title, so it, it has to go in for that. And quite frankly, there's very little competition in my mind. So it's not the strongest endorsement for this match from me, but uh, I am putting up Sean Michaels versus Bret Hart Iron Man match. Okay, well, my rebuttal to that, first of all, is is kind of twofold. First of all, um, you're right, it's clearly the, the, the highlight of the show, but first off, it is such a poor match compared to its place in history and what those two guys are capable of. Um, unbelievably disappointing and overrated. Secondly, if we put this in, this is going to be our third Shawn Michaels match in a row, and as much as he is Mr. WrestleMania, that does not prove much of a mixtape it ruins the variety I'm not a fan of putting the same guy in three years in a row I'm going to go completely to the other end of the scale you, you chose a match that lasted an hour I'm going to choose a match that lasted less than two minutes yes um, I'm going to go I'm going to go with the ultimate warrior no no, no no you can't yes. do this I'm doing it I'm doing it yes. and the reason I'm doing it is for, for two reasons A because it's a, a you know a huge moment in time the comeback for the ultimate warrior um, completely superfluous completely unnecessary but popped the crowd hugely well big yeah. star <laughs> and also you know very historically significant in that you know what Triple H what Hunter S. Helmsley becomes in Wrestlemania history starts here with the most inauspicious start so I think to see the Triple H journey in Wrestlemania which is in some ways the history of the modern Wrestlemania you've got to see his humble beginnings um, so for my vote it goes Ultimate Warrior against Triple H Hunter S. Helmsley I'm afraid I've, I've got to say look Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart was a very disappointing match I remember this Wrestlemania well I've been doing uh, I've been we'd been on a mini tour with Hamlock Wrestling where we had um, Adam Bomb um, if you remember him Brian Clark later became Wrath in WCW um, he was uh, on the tour with us and we ended up all watching it live at Andre Baker's house where he had some kind of hooky sky set up where um, he was getting the feed <laughs> off of someone else's house or something <laughs> God knows how but we managed to watch Wrestlemania live on Sky Sports 
And I do remember him uh, when we saw the Roddy Piper Gold Dust match and Gold Dust uh, gets stripped down to stockings and suspenders. He just goes, oh, God, there goes his career. But to be fair to Gold Dust, he did pretty well after that. Um, I think, yeah, it's that great... It, the, the, the Shawn Michaels-Bret Hart match, as far as a mixtape goes, you don't want to be giving people an hour's worth of boredom. Um, we, and yeah, the thing with that match was you, they knew they were going an hour it was at such a snail's pace um, whereas yeah Warrior and Triple H is the complete opposite um, I think it's a really interesting juxtaposition of the two careers because Ultimate Warrior had had his moment in the sun at Wrestlemania 6 several years earlier he'd come back for this and you know, this is meant to be his big comeback and he kind of then just you know faded away very very quickly after that Plus, it's also Triple H jobbing in less than two minutes, which always makes me happy. Um, so I think, yeah, you know, the the end, almost the end of the Ultimate Warrior as an in-ring performer, com- together with the start of Hunter Hearst Helmsley as he was then as an in-ring performer, I'm putting that in the mixtape. You, know you didn't see that one coming, did you, Rob? Well, to be fair, when you first said it and I heard Dean's cheer... I was <laughs> outraged. Um, not because I'm such a fan of the Iron Man match, but because of the, the sheer injustice of of that, I'm going to say it, piece of shit match getting onto a WrestleMania mixtape. However, it's a WrestleMania moment. Well, uh, well, that's a good point, and I did say it's not all about the quality of the match. There's some historical significance has to go in it. And actually, when you said at the end, Paul, it's about the start, the genesis of, uh, of Triple H's... Um, WrestleMania journey, which is still not complete. Um, it is uh, a fair point about that. Unbelievably, it means that the Ultimate Warrior is in this tape for the third time, <laughs> and we are on WrestleMania 12. So he, 25% of our matches at the moment include the Ultimate Warrior. I'll actually give you a little bit of a rundown when we finish all what, the. What was WrestleMania 7 match? Uh, what was the one that went in for seven? Uh, yeah. We we put in Undertaker versus Jimmy Snooker. Ah, oh, the start of the streak. So for similar so, sort so, so of reasons. Should have been four. Should have been four. See, I would have thought Warrior and Savage for that one, but... Yeah, Paul thought be, that, and uh, it didn't get voted in. Who was the... Really? Who were the judges? That was uh, Jay and Cat, Jay O'Leary and Cat Miller were the judges for that one, and they uh, went with me because I voted for uh, Taker versus Snooker. But you can't argue, Paul, against me on that one, because... There is your argument for Triple H being in this match is exactly the same as mine for Undertaker. Cause, and mine, in fact, mine is stronger because mine is Undertaker's streak. But th- that's not the point because we're not going back on the number seven. Um, so officially going in the book for WrestleMania 12. Um, I haven't even written it in my little. I've got a little uh, template that I've got in my document in front of me, and I didn't even write it down. I thought you might go for Piper versus Goldust, and you went for. Uh, you went for Warrior well, v. Actually, Piper, Piper vs. Golders was never under consideration. I actually made a very last minute, I called a last minute audible um, until about two minutes. In fact, during your spiel, I was ready to go with Diesel against Undertaker. But then, in reality, it's a, it's a, it's a very good match but it means nothing in historical context so I thought it yeah. would have got smashed to bits and I'm probably right but you, you also had uh, the first the debut at WrestleMania of Stone Cold Steve Austin that was under consideration yeah. but I'd much prefer the de- the uh, the debut at WrestleMania of Sable which is another facet to that yes. Warrior Triple H match indeed uh, and also uh, we can't emphasize enough that Triple H jobs in 1 minute 39 <laughs> 
But this don't forget, his WrestleMania journey hasn't finished because he's got to justify his one million pound, one million dollar a year downside guarantee right. as a performer. That is, that is plenty on that front. We are very proud of our links with Hooked on Wrestling and WWE, and we wanted to remain that way. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just remember who has oh. power, power on the edit. Um, oh, I will say, is a very, very clever man. That's a good point. He is indeed. Um, I will say that I am not really in a position, Dean, to uh, have a go at Paul for too many of his choices um, because I did propose going on this mi- mixtape Doink versus Crush at Wrestlemania 9 um, but I will argue that we have had comp- we have had Hogan Andre versus Savage and Steamboat I mean imagine trying to pick between those two but when they got to Wrestlemania 9 our choice was between the Steiners and the Head Shrinkers and Doink and Crush and that was <laughs> a hell of a decision that Doug Williams had to make there to, uh, to hand that one to Paul with the Steiners and the Head Shrinkers I've got to say, WrestleMania 3, the thing is, if there is one match that epitomises WrestleMania to me, it's Hogan and Andre, because it yeah. is the biggest thing, and that's really what uh, what launched WrestleMania as a, an entity on an annual basis. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, you are right. I mean, you're rubbing it in, because I lost on that front um, abysmally. I still think Rob Lee had a vendetta against me, um, because he knows that... Uh, uh, I am the better Rob when it comes to uh, things, um, but uh, I will. You're, but you're right; that probably does uh, d- deserve its position. Um, right, we are moving on to WrestleMania 13, um, and I barely feel this is worth pitching, but I'm going to anyway because um, I, I want to give it its, um, its just respect. Um, I'm going to choose Bret the Hitman Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin in a submission match at WrestleMania 13. Um, this, in my opinion, was the greatest match in WrestleMania history, one of the greatest matches of all time, it remains. Um, I think it was the greatest match in WrestleMania history until WrestleMania 25, um, which I just realised that I get first pick on as well, so that's going in, um, But until Sean versus uh, Undertaker at 25. Um, but this is an absolutely magnificent wrestling match. Um, it has brilliant psychology, it has brawling, it has the into the crowd spot, which was not done all that much at that point, but was done ad nauseum afterwards. Um, for those of you that like the colour, that's not my kind of thing, um, the bleeding, but I will say that if you are ever going to do it, this is the right time to do it on a big match, safely, and with an incredible visual. It is not the time to do it in front of 150 people in Coventry, um, but it is the right time to do it um, at WrestleMania 13. Um, and it has the incredible aspect of what was referred to as the double turn. Um, mm which people have been banging on about ever since. It was 20 years ago, everyone, and no one's ever done an effective one since. Stop thinking that there's going to be all sorts of matches. That are... Braun Strowman versus Roman Reigns was never going to be the double turn. It doesn't work the same. Okay? So, um, Brett versus Stone Cold, absolutely magnificent. Um, launched Stone Cold in the same way that the, uh, the, um, the Shawn Michaels match that I mentioned a couple of WrestleManias ago. Um, launched the heel turn of Bret Hart, which was just the, the best thing about 1997. Absolutely magnificent. And also, in a, in a very, very small way, launched the WWF career of Ken Shamrock, who was the, uh, the referee in this. They never really went with the full potential of Shamrock, but he was an important part of the company for a couple of years, and this is where he started. So, um, all sorts of reasons. Mainly, it's an absolutely brilliant wrestling match, but there is also historical significance. Um, you might as well vote this one on now but I will be amused to see what Paul Benson comes back with. Well, my uh, pick, actually, is a very strong opposition to that. I'm going to actually pick Bret the Hitman Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin in the, sub- in the I Quit match. And the reason I'm going to do that is because it's an odd-numbered WrestleMania, and therefore my choice first. 
<laughs> so Rob, thank you for your eloquent argument in my favour, and we'll talk that one for me. <laughs> Oh, oh, do you know you. what? Do you know what? I noticed halfway through. I was halfway through it and I thought, oh, it's not my turn. It's not my turn, but I'm going to bluff it out. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Benson let you just go through all of that and right? <laughs> you at the end. Oh, and what? Take himself the effort of going Rob, through it because you'd done it before. No one could see me here, but listen to this noise. Listen to this. That's me dropping the mic. <laughs> Oh, goodness me. I've got to say, you know, it's, it's interesting what you say about blood, because I've always been a believer that there are times that using blood is effective, and that was the absolute perfect example of it, you know, because, like you said, not only is it the visual, but it's it's the, 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 the visual there, that iconic visual of Austin screaming in pain with the blood pouring down his head, but the fact that it gets him sympathy for the babyface turn, it puts Bret Hart across as dangerous, it helps Bret Hart look more vicious because he's targeting it. It's just the right time to do it. If you know, blood in the right way can add another dimension to a match. And it's certainly you know, the the whole double turn, what that was just one of many factors that built that up so brilliantly. Yeah, never, uh, never mind all that. No, no, forget that. Never mind all that. It's nuts. Who cares? Um, let me tell you about one of the greatest matches of all time. And I talk, of course, about Rocky Maivia versus the Sultan. <laughs> yeah. No, I was, uh, I was just looking about the Chicago street fight, and I'm just wondering, Clarence Mason, whatever happened to Clarence Mason? <laughs> in, all, in all seriousness, guys, if we did have to put up uh, a contender against that match, and, and for, obviously this is probably the most one-sided WrestleMania in history, but um, you know what? What would we go for as the as the counterpoint to that? I, mean, um, I, su- I suppose Rock and, Rock, uh, Rocky Maivia versus Sultan actually genuinely would be um, something to throw up in the um, not something when you do throw up, but something to throw up as a as an opposition to to Bret and Stone Cold from the perspective of the Triple H's first match, Sean's first match, whoever else's first match, Undertaker's. You know, in the sense that you know the Rock is going to be part of this list, I would imagine as as time goes on. Um, so he deserves his place in WrestleMania history. So looking at the first Rocky Maivia position um, could be something. Um, I think that goes ahead of say Triple H Gold Dust Undertaker Sid. Um, you know, Owen. What else was there? Owen and the Bulldog versus Mankind and Vader. I, th- I think you're, I think you're probably right, and I couldn't. Obviously, we're not going to put up a credible argument against it. But I think the only other one I could potentially look at would be the Chicago Street Fight. In all honesty, yeah. Um, quite simply because if you had to pinpoint a moment in time that the Attitude Era began. Um, you'd obviously have a few contenders, but that would be one of them. That was, you know, that brawl. We take it for granted now, but it was unprecedented at the time. Um, and it was like it really did feel like the essence of ECW, um, and it was a real sort of raw, sort of edgy feud the whole way through. And again, I'm not credibly putting it up as opposition, but I suppose that would be a very, very, very distant second place for me. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Here, I think. I think that that and the Rocky match, for, you know, the Rocky match for historical reasons, as you say. I think yeah, that that Chicago Street Fight was an, an entertaining match. Okay, here, this is unprofessional of me, not as unprofessional as getting the order wrong and making a fool of myself. Do you know what I could have done there? I could have said, we'll go back and re-edit that, and we'll we'll, we'll retake that. But A, I'm happy 
happy to humbly um, make a fool of myself on this podcast, and B, I hate editing, and I'm gonna have to, I might have to do enough for uh, for Dean's dubious topics. So I'm not going to go back and uh, and do anything for that one. Oh, but uh, okay. on, a, on a slightly more unprofessional thing, I am going to bring the uh, the backstage to the front in true Russo style, and say, Paul, that there is an idea for future Hooked on Wrestling podcasts once we get beyond WrestleMania. Hooked on Wrestling, Hooked on Podcast, The Big Question. And we could do a different big question each week and maybe um, talk to a few different people to get their answer to it. I am saying, when did the Attitude Era begin? It's a a very interesting question. I would suggest that maybe, we just mentioned Gold Dust, I would suggest maybe even the first appearance of Gold Dust, you know, and that slight blurring of, you know, the topics that we're going to talk about, um, the Mankind and bringing him in that kind of thing as well I would argue that oh, yeah. the could start from back well, there but we'll maybe keep our powder dry on that a little bit but I think that's yeah. a topic for the future I think you're very right and I think um, yeah we will keep our powder dry but that's, that Survivor Series 95 where Goldust debuted would probably have a very very strong case but yeah let's let's not go there just yet if only we were on Wrestlemania 9 now so I could go speaking of powder Mr. Fuji but we're not um, uh, we're on Wrestlemania 14 and I think Dean's trying to say something go ahead mate no, I was just going to say, I really, really need to go to the toilet, so you might have to edit that to uh, just give me a moment to depart um, <laughs> for a second. Welcome back from this musical interlude in the middle of this podcast, and as you all know, that piece of music is Paul and Dean. Oh, sorry, Pearl and Dean. Paul and Dean, of course, oh, are today's guests. Hey. Very good. There you go. Are you suitably refreshed now? Twisted genius, Thanks. twisted bladder, that kind of thing. Yes, I, 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 I'm fine now. So it is, it is the, um, the, the, the curse of the diabetic man's bladder. Uh, imagine when you're having to commentate live and um, you're getting through lots of tea to keep the throat lubricated and at the same time desperately needing the loo. What a combo. And I, 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 like, I like the idea that, um, much like the old... Diva matches of 2007-8. Even this podcast has a piss break about halfway through. In fact, um, I was to say, if you uh, if you ever get um, get hold of, I'm fat, I've got it here in front of me. Um, the Pro Wrestling Noah European Navigation 2008 DVD, which was the Coventry Sky Dome. Uh, let me just grab it because the semi-final match was absolutely fantastic. It was. Let me just grab it here. What was it? Um, it was Kenta, who is now obviously uh, Hideo Itami, and Taiji Ishimori versus Eddie Edwards, who the, is the former TNA World Champion, and Brian Danielson, uh, which wow. obviously was one of, probably one of the best match I've ever commentated on my life. And as that match finishes, uh, before we get to the to the main event of Kenta Kabashi and Go Shiozaki against Mitsuharu Mizawa and Naomichi Marufuji. Um, you can hear me say to my co-commentator, I'm just going to nip to the loo before the main event, and they forget, they forgot to edit that out. <laughs> it's, uh, it's still on the DVD. Magnificent. Don't get that from Michael Cole, do you? Oh, I tell you, that must be something, though, for them. I mean, they do four-hour pay-per-views with a bloody pre-show. That must be, genuinely must be murder, mustn't it? I don't know how they do it unless there's some sort of capital system. I think I think they must wee wee in those Mountain Dew bottles they have. Oh, 
Oh, I don't know if we want to get onto this too much, do we? Mo- let's get... Moving on. Yeah, I, let's get... This is something that we should tweet the commentators about. Obviously, I can't because I've been blocked by JBL. But uh, one of you two can ask. Have you been blocked by JBL? Why is that? What did you say? Nasty. I, JBL follows me. So what, really? what, did you, what, did you, what did you say nasty about him? I like John. Good guy. Um, I basically said he, he. There was a time he did a pay per view, and then on he did the same joke on Raw the next night, where um, uh, what's his name, Xavier Woods with the trombone, was getting beaten up, and um, and uh, JBL referenced him as Satchmo, and I just said two nights in a row he's called him Satchmo. I didn't even tag. I don't even think I tagged him in it. I think he just must have been searching for himself on Twitter, and I just basically said. Um, you know that Louis Armstrong played the trumpet, not the trombone, and he basically tweeted back saying something like, um, "Oh, it's the same. It's the same thing, idiot. They're both musicians." Blocked and uh, and blocked me. To which I said it was like saying that you know Paul McCartney was the great a great drummer or something. But um, there you go. Of all things not, for you to draw I'm... heat on that you've done, it's a it's a bit of pedantry about instruments. It is a bit of pedantry about instruments. Yes. Yeah. I think I think that ought to be the subtitle of your autobiography. I think it ought to be called um, "My Life as a Twisted Genius." I once said something pedantic about instruments. That could be the uh, that could be the title. When when is that coming out again? The the autobiography. Yeah yeah yeah. Um, it's the um, when I can be bothered o'clock. Oh brilliant! In uh, yeah. 2059. Excellent. Um, <laughs> let's uh, move on to WrestleMania 14. Um, Paul, whose go is it? Oh, Rob, I don't know. You use your math skills. Remember, you're on the even numbers, so work it out from there. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you what, I'll go. Go on, Um, then. Okay, Uh, I am going to choose, uh, and you'll be shocked about this, I'm going to choose for WrestleMania 14, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Shawn Michaels for the WWF title. The Austin era has begun, said JR in one of his finest calls. Um, I am not choosing this because of Shawn Michaels being Mr. WrestleMania. I'm not choosing this because of how good JR's commentary is. Uh, I'm not choosing this because it's Stone Cold Steve Austin's WWF title win. I am choosing this because Mike Tyson is a special guest enforcer. And this is one of the most pivotal moments in the entire history of the wrestling business. Um, Because Tyson was an absolute huge uh, money-making barometer-moving megastar in the United States at that point. He was controversial. I think he was uh, in the middle of his hiatus, having been banned because of his bite on Holyfield, if I remember correctly. Um, and a lot of the buzz in the build-up to this was that Tyson was going to wrestle. Um, it was on, uh, The buzz was that it was going to be Austin Tyson for a long time. There was even a suggestion that that was what was in the mind when uh, they had that confrontation on Raw the night after the uh, Raw Rumble. Um, it was a magnificent piece of business from the WWF just to get him involved. Um, there were twists and turns along the way with him pretending to be with DX. Um, Tyson, is my understanding, is a huge wrestling fan, so was happy to be part of it. Even if he did say "Cold Stone" Steve Austin at one point in one of his uh, Cold Stone. one Cold of his uh, promos. Um, but that's um, yeah. There's so many reasons for this match to go in because of its historical significance, not least because of Tyson's involvement, which uh, there was a little bit of air, let's say, on the uh, the punch on Sean, but uh, it still looked pretty good. And uh, I'm going to say that is the uh, the definite reason um, for this match going in. Okay. Um, well, first of all, that is a very fair assessment. Um, I can't really argue with that at all. Um, 
what I am going to go with is a strategy that I feel might be quite quite useful here. I'm going to go kiss arsery, and I'm going to pick the the, the dumpster match between the New Age Outlaws and Cactus Jack and Terry Funk, simply because. Um, again, a really fun garbage brawl between four really great technical wrestlers um, in a match that, again, had long-term repercussions in the catalyst for the new and expanded DX, um, Mankind's move to the main event. But more importantly, arguably, it represented the uh, the coming out of retirement um, of Terry Funk after his long-stated four-month hiatus, which then led to him eventually being managed by the greatest manager in British wrestling history. I'm going with the dumpster match. What say you, Dean? I cannot believe you've just done that. I cannot believe you've just done that. That is, oh, that is outrageous. It was my bloody idea to put WrestleMania 14 into this. We were only going to get up to 13. Dean thought we were only up to doing up to 13. And I said beforehand, oh, you've watched up to 14, Paul. Let's go up to 14. Had I realised you were going to do this piece of chicanery... <laughs> right, look into your heart, Dean. Well, well okay. I, but... I have to say, Paul makes... God, do you know what? I, feel, I now feel like someone on the chase looking at the, at the, the middle and the higher off now. It's very tempting. Um, I, I, I think it's a very strong case... For uh, for the dumpster match um, because I, I think I'm right in saying it's it's the only WrestleMania appearance of Terry Funk I do believe he was at WrestleMania two oh in the Battle Royal no in a tag what? team match with his brother against uh, I can't remember who they were facing but uh, he was in a tag team match I beg your pardon I stand corrected like a man in Tibet shoes um, <laughs> however yes it, it, you know it's, it's it is, you know, the attitude here is summed up. It's a gimmick match. It's memorable. I don't know if they did many other dumpster matches. However, unlike with Lawrence Taylor, where he's actually wrestling and he's, you know, show he, he, he's beaten the wrestler with with this, with Mike Tyson as the guest referee, with all of the um, all of the publicity, the mainstream public got it got the WWE, WWF, as they were then. I mean, the other thing you've got to bear in mind: this is what 1998. They this this was one of the turning points in WWF getting ahead of WCW in the Monday Night Wars. The fact that they had got Mike Tyson in as as a special guest for WrestleMania. You know, WCW had had people like Dennis Rodman in at that time and Jay Leno and people like that, but. Yeah, there's no one. You know, the bad, the baddest man on the planet is coming in to referee your your main event at WrestleMania. It also proves to be Shawn Michaels' last match for many, many years because of his back injury. Um, I think I, I just can't see past um, Stone Cold and Shawn Michaels for this because of I think more because of the Tyson involved than anything else. I mean, it's a great match, but I think it's Tyson swings it as such. Thank goodness. That for once you've looked into your the good part of your conscience. You looked onto the correct shoulder, and the good <laughs> angel told you to go with me. Um, thank you for doing that and for retaining the um, the sanctity of this uh, WrestleMania <laughs> mixtape um, that I, I admittedly nearly ruined earlier on by completely forgetting what the order was. Um, I've just realised there is something else I tend to do on this podcast, which is I will tend to tell people when we're recording to give people an idea of the... Uh, it's normally out pretty quickly after we record, but just to give you an idea of when we do it, for example, we recorded on Sunday evening just before Fastlane, 
Um, so I, I needed to tell people that um, by the time they listened to it, um, they'd probably seen the show, but we were recording it just before to put some context in. Um, this is nothing to do with wrestling, but we're recording this uh, on Wednesday evening. Um, uh, it, it is now about quarter to ten on Wednesday night. Um, for those of you that are football fans, Barcelona have just completed one of the most extraordinary comebacks in football history it's by turning amazing. a 4-0 deficit against Paris Saint-Germain into a 6-1 win at home, having scored three goals in the last couple of minutes. And um, can I also just say that two of their goals were penalties, and these may or may not be dodgy. Okay, it is an incredible um, babyface comeback, if you want to call it that, although I would argue Barcelona are a little bit of a Roman Reigns babyface. Um uh. Babyface, I think the Qataris have decided they want their uh, more valuable team going through, surely. Well, we will, see, we, we will see. It's an interesting set of circumstances. But it does remind me of the fact that, do you remember that um, uh, the famous Liverpool 4, Newcastle 3 game with Collymore scoring in the last minute? Do you remember that one, boys? Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. Did you remember watching that game? Yeah. Yeah. I went to see Starlight Express that night. <laughs> Which, by and the way... That- which, by the way, was brilliant. But and tonight, you are missing an equally epic encounter because you're podcasting with Pearl and Dean. Yes. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> so that concludes our portion of the uh, the WrestleMania mixtape uh, for today. And I'm just having a look at uh, updating some of our standings because uh, I think it now means that we have three people that are on three matches uh, in our... Mixtape. We have Hulk Hogan, the Ultimate Warrior, and Shawn Michaels on three times, from what I can uh, work out. We've now got um, Bret Hart on twice, Stone Cold on twice, um, and then others that will um, surely come into contention later on. Take what, on sh- one. what are Shawn's on on three? Uh, Shawn is in for the uh, the ladder match, and uh, oh, maybe he's only in, no, he's only in twice, isn't he? I've yeah. automatically assumed that he was going to be in for the. Um, uh, the 60-minute match, but he's not. So no, he's only in twice. So we've got Hogan and Warrior on three, Sean on uh, two, Brett on Ma- two. Sean Michaels is in the ladder match at WrestleMania 10, the championship match at WrestleMania 11, and the championship match at WrestleMania 14. Yeah, I was right in the first place. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. There we That's go. Three. Yes. Well done, well done, Dean, for bringing some credibility to this. I was second guessing myself. Again, yeah. the was fouled of odd numbers. Yes. So uh, numbers have not been my friend this evening. Um, so we're going to move on to situations where I can make less of a fool of myself. This is one of the worst, worst podcasts I've ever been involved with. Um, oh, hey, hey, can I just ask? Numbers aren't your friends. Friends aren't your friends, given the fact that you had to go to Raw on your birthday. <laughs> I mean, Rob's going to be going to Samaritans after this. <laughs> oh, dear. If, to put this into WrestleMania terms, um, I like to consider myself as being a rather a good podcaster, um, but this is the Bob Backlund match to Bret Hart for me. This I is think the, uh, this is Bob Uecker interviewing Andre <laughs> the Giant. That's what this is. <laughs> right, moving on. Before I actually may retire from this next week, this is going to be Paul, Paul Benson and Joel Ross presenting the Hooked On podcast. <laughs> I abdicate. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about some um, some modern stuff, um, building up to the uh, the WrestleMania that is to come. Um, before we do so, um, we have already mentioned that uh, we've got lots of venues um, where we're running our WrestleMania parties. Paul, if you just give us uh, those venues again and how people can get tickets to those shows. Absolutely, Rob. So we've got um, we're running the Walkabout in London and the same in Brighton. Um, and then we've got Shooter Sports Bars in Leeds, Liverpool, Manchester, Cardiff, Birmingham and Nottingham. 
Um, there's a few ways you can get a ticket for them. Primarily, you can go to ringsideworld.co.uk. From there, you can buy uh, tickets. Uh, you can buy entry to the WWE 2K17 tournament in association with Game. Um, we're running those at every venue apart from Brighton, London, and Nottingham. Um, alternatively, you can call Shooters Direct for any of the Shooters venues on 0845 zero. Um, you can book tickets with them or you can reserve uh, seating. And there's a package where you can spend an extra fiver to get a reserved seat, a beer and a burger. Um, again, Manchester sold out. Leeds very, very close to being sold out of tables. Um, but get in there if you can. Um, that covers it, I believe. I think we're there. We're good. Excellent stuff. I can feel people all over the southeast of England saying, do you know what, I was thinking about going to the one in London, but given that um, Dean's come on and been quite a good guest, um, I might go down to the Brighton one, because frankly the geezer that's hosting the London one has been a bit useless, can't count, keeps forgetting where he is, <laughs> yeah. and the only downside about going to the Brighton show is that the host is going to have to go to the loo every 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Other, other than that... The, uh... Come down to the seaside, it'll be April, it'll be kind of getting warmish, you know, you can throw yourself in the sea at 6 o'clock in the morning if the person you wanted to win hasn't won, it's all good fun. By the way, don't throw yourself in the sea. I, I did that once at that time of day after an all-night party and I lived down in Brighton and I cramped up in every joint and had to be literally pulled back to sea by an ex-girl, pulled back to shore by an ex-girlfriend. I, I was going to say, this is this is how yeah we, we get at least two or three people die every year. Yeah, that was my near-death experience. But I've been on my own. I would not be sitting here podcasting. Luckily, we were, we'd swum out to the end of the pier where I got cramped and bless her, she pulled me all the way back from the end of the pier or level with the end of the pier to the beach where I could barely move my hands and feet <laughs> not my um, finest hour we are going to uh, move on from this not only because I'm getting into the uh, don't try this at home kids territory but also because I want to try and escape from this topic because I am aware that I think you said something Paul there about uh, stiffing it up in every joint and Dean didn't make a joke about it so we are going to uh, move away from the uh, the, uh, the sophomoric humour and uh, talk about Fastlane which is much more upbeat, jolly and positive isn't that right lads? Yay! I think I said at the top of this podcast that uh, one of our guests referred to this as not as fast lane, but indeed as hard shoulder. Um, I obviously wouldn't um, stoop to doing a rubbish road to WrestleMania equals actual road joke, except for the last eight podcasts. Um, <laughs> but um, Dean, why did you why did you say hard shoulder then? Were you not a fan of the show, sir? It it was it was just a bit pedestrian, really. I mean, I think yeah, I just think that some. Um, yeah, the, the the main event you knew was going to be very short. We'll get onto that in a moment, I'm sure. But it's it we're in that we're in that time where you're kind of you're just you're treading water, red you know you're treading water, waiting for WrestleMania to come up. And I understand why they why they have it. I think you know back when it was the Elimination Chamber in uh, this sort of time and, and then you went into WrestleMania it's better but obviously the ground split means we've got more big events now and it was um it, yeah it was it was fine for what it was but it was uh, you know it, it was a, a bit of a kind of a placeholder rather than a boom straight ahead kind of show I'm genuine when I say this and people think it's going to be a big backward step but do you guys remember the in your house pay-per-views when they first came around? Yes. Well, what was of one of the what was one of the big I wouldn't say it was a selling point necessarily, but one, what was one of the big differences between let's say a main pay-per-view like a SummerSlam and an in your house? It was cheaper. It was cheaper. Why was it cheaper? Because it, it was shorter. shorter. Because it was shorter. 
I don't really understand why they don't, if they're going to do more of these shows, make them shorter. Because here's the thing. They might think wrestling fans will say, no, we want longer stuff, we want more stuff on the network. But it's not true. Wrestling fans don't actually want more stuff. I don't blame them for doing a three-hour Raw, because if you get offered tens of millions of pounds by a television network to do another hour of your show, it's worth doing. I mean, mm. you can argue that long-term, that it's making switching people off and people find it harder and the ratings go down. Yeah, fine. But if someone offers, you, if someone offers us quite a lot of money to put, make this podcast six hours, we're going to bloody do it. So um, <laughs> uh, we're not far off it as it is. But it's, it, I, I just think that you, you don't blame them for doing that. But with these pay-per-views, and this went over three hours as well. It wasn't even like they came in, because I think it was about you know, two hours and 57 before the main event started. And I know that it was a very short main event, but still with all the entrances and stuff, it went past three hours because they don't have to be so rigid anymore because of the network. Um, I just, I don't think anyone wants that. And so rather than padding it out with Rusev and Jinder Mahal and all that nonsense that was going on in the middle, which I don't think even helped anyone, because um, they seem to be building up Big Show after the match with Strowman. I don't know why they didn't build him up beforehand. I mean, perhaps it's to do with something at the WrestleMania with Shaq or whatever, but that still seems pointless. Um, there was so much filler on this. I'd actually think a yeah. lot of it wasn't all that bad, but it was just pointless. And no one was, And then you have a match in Roman Reigns versus Strowman that a lot of people weren't interested in because they either hate Strowman or they weren't, didn't think it was going to be a, you know, a fast-paced match or whatever. So I think all well, these things was, built together. I don't think there was all that much that was bad about it. It was just a lot of it was irrelevant. In, in my eyes, you know, I've always been, and I, I mentioned this last week on the podcast. I've always been um, a proponent of having a very clear space between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. In a, with very few exceptions, I feel these middle of the, these middle of the Royal Rumble WrestleMania season pay-per-views have always done more harm than good. They literally put speed bumps in the way in my my eyes, and this pay-per-view epitomize that to me for me it was a bit of a zero something like i think they, those characters that are going to go on to wrestlemania and, and 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 sell the show and entertain the fans i think the vast majority of them were in a better position before that pay-per-view started than after it it moved things backwards case in point the roman reigns um braun Strowman match and i know rob you made a great point when we were talking about earlier in the week about if reigns going on to face undertaker then of course he has to go over uh, to keep him hot and heat him up for that match and you're really right my argument is don't have the bloody match at all don't have, the, don't have the match Stop. don't have the event keep them all strong um, and you can say the same for Charlotte losing a pay-per-view um, winning streak if that means something to you and I, think, I think it's been built up well that's gone needlessly um, the Owens-Goldberg thing alright we all knew it was going to be a, a, a 21 second quick thing could they have done that on Raw? Yes, absolutely. Um, I just think, for me, it was it was all about the booking and the fact that the pay-per-view did more harm than good. I, I, I just don't see the need for it. A very cogent argument. Let me just first of all say, I don't want to turn this podcast into Rob's weekly pick-pull up on something, but you did say that they literally put speed bumps in. Uh, they didn't. They figuratively <laughs> put speed bumps in. Um, don't don't make this the Monday night football version of a podcast where I am Gary Neville and you are Jamie Redknapp. Okay, don't make me keep on bringing you up on these things. But other than that, good points, and none of which I think I could argue with. Can I just say I think you know Paul's made very valid points. I think I think Braun Strowman has come out of it 
down because he's he's lost cleanly. I mean, it was a very good match, and I think you know he is someone who they've got a guy who is. In, I mean, I, I remember seeing him live at the Brighton Centre last year, and he is absolutely enormous. He looks the part, you know, and he's a he's a great asset for them, and they're actually. Yeah, you know, they're doing considering some of the big guys they've had in the past, like yeah, you know, Mason Ryan and Jackson Andrews, if anyone remembers him and, and what happened with them, they're in and out very quickly. Even you know, Ryback you might say, how he came up and went down again. You know, they're doing a really good job with Braun Strowman. I don't think he needed to face Roman Reigns because, you know, ultimately someone's as Paul said, someone's gonna come out of it um harmed. Um also, I, I I don't particularly think that Goldberg and Lesnar needs the the title in there. And I mean, from watching Raw, not Goldberg got the most muted reaction since he came back. I think um, because you know, essentially, the guys had two matches that have got a combined total of two minutes, where he's not had to sell a move, which is just as well, um, but. You know, he's not had to sell anything. He is essentially the 2017 version of Big Daddy, except for he's bald, in shape, and Jewish. Um, you know, you've got these main events that are that are very, very short. That's not what people are conditioned to see. People are conditioned to see the main event being the the long, big match of of the show. I think it would be much better to have, if you wanted the belt on Goldberg, it'd be much better to. Um, well, actually, I think it'd be much better to keep the belt on Owens to have Lesnar come out and and you know interfere in the match and cost it cost Goldberg somehow so he doesn't get the belt and then that adds fuel to their fire that you cost me my championship opportunity and then you've got you've got you know, Owens and and Jericho can be for the title and what better way for Jericho to get revenge on Owens than taking the title that he saved for him so many occasions so it's it's right. just the, and also. The problem- be the problem I've there, got four points to make out of this and I want to well, retain the, the them all fresh the one I'll make the problem there Dean is if Lesnar comes out and costs uh, Goldberg the title he's screwing himself out of a title match at Wrestlemania because the match has already been announced it was do you remember back in 2004 when it um, was Goldberg Lesnar so famously at Wrestlemania yes. Goldberg screwed Lesnar out of the title when he faced Eddie Guerrero at No Way Out and back then it was like why exactly would you really do that? You'd want Lesnar to keep it so you can beat him at WrestleMania, etc., etc. Reverse here. That would have made so... No, sorry to pick you up, mate, but that would have just made me scratch my head even more if they'd done that. That was one of the four points I was going to make, so I'm down to three now. I totally agree with that. We would be sitting here saying, that's ridiculous, nonsensical booking, had that happened. Um, If it had been a a sort of sudden rage thing and they hadn't already booked the match, then maybe it would make some sense, but... Well, I suppose then it just prompts the question of why put Goldberg in in the title picture. I mean, you know, the, the thing to me is that you know when Vin, you think about you know Vince McMahon's um, famous quote from a couple of years ago about you know people like Cesaro grabbing the brass ring, you've got one guy in, in his fifties who hadn't wrestled for like five years coming back having two matches at a total of two minutes and becoming world champion. And he'll be defending against another guy who's part-time who doesn't have to take drug tests because he's not covered by the wellness policy and is getting paid more than the full, a lot, most of the full-timers. It's just a very strange dynamic. And to me, what message does that send to the, the, full-time, the full-time wrestlers? It's just very strange because 
whatever happens in that match, you're going to have to get the belt off of Goldberg or Lesnar at some point and keep them strong. And you know, so that's going to give them another quandary. Do you remember when years ago when they had, I think it was at the Survivor Series, they had CM Punk and Ryback in a cage? And it's where they introduced the Shield because they basically booked themselves into a corner where they didn't want Punk to lose, but they didn't want Ryback to lose because he was unbeaten. And they ended up with, with Brad Maddox as the heel referee and the Shield coming out. Well, they did it twice, didn't they? They did the first one with... Um, I can't remember which way around it was, actually. They did the cage with Brad Maddox as the heel referee, and then they did the Shield when it was the... I think it was a triple threat between Punk, Ryback and Cena, if I remember rightly, at Survivor Series. Right. And um, and that's when they brought the Shield out. So, yeah, you, you bang on, they did exactly that. Similar thing when they had um, Shawn Michaels as the guest referee kicking Brian Danielson, and they didn't really know what they were doing with that one. It was just a... a who's, who's, who's Brian Danielson? I'll be quiet. Daniel Bryan. <laughs> um... Um, uh, Naomi, was it Naomi that called him Brian twice on Smackdown the other week yeah. oh really I, like, I, like, I quite like the idea that she was addressing him by his surname um, but anyway I had three points I, I, so it's I, now gone back up to four again um, uh, one of which is I want to commend Dean on saying championship opportunity rather than title shot so he's obviously got <laughs> Vince's memo um, uh, the, one of them is to say that I actually I totally agree in terms of the principle um, of Goldberg I think I was uninterested in Goldberg um, in the first place the first match they had with Lesnar when he won it piqued my interest I thought they did the Rumble stuff absolutely perfectly not just because it was because I said that's what they should do um, I agree that this is a hindrance and this has taken him back down the, the, the list again um, if you think that Goldberg's worst reaction was when he came out of the pay-per-view um, you probably haven't seen Monday Night Raw yet which is um, when he got an even uh, worse reaction but then it no, was in Chicago that's what, I mean. that's what I mean on Monday Night Raw yeah. he'd won the belt it's that thing of there's a difference between people wanting to see someone challenge for the belt and people wanting to see that person as the ch- as the champion. True. Do you know if you but, want, if you wanted to up the ante for WrestleMania rather than have it as a as a title match, bearing in mind I'm presuming both of these belts, especially Goldberg's on a short term deal, make it a loser leaves town, loser must retire match. Yeah, there's only room here for one of us. Well, they've still got time. Still got I, was time. I think they might well do that. I think, um, yes, I think that's probably a good shout-out. Um, here's what I will say, right? And this is the main point I want to make. Right now, I'll give you a little window into my world. Right now, I am sat in my kitchen talking to you two guys. I'm drinking my third beer. I have a beard on my face and I have a gut. That is Kevin Owens if he had not got into the wrestling business. I think he's about my age as well. So that is about the only similarities I have with Kevin Owens. Um um, but he would be doing the kind of thing that I'm doing right now, which is talking about WrestleMania with a beer and a belly and a beard. Vince does not think that is what wrestling should be, or not wrestling, sports entertainment should be to the wider world. So if his main event, okay, not maybe not main event, but if his WWE championship match, universal championship match, he is selling to the mainstream to go on all of those mainstream United States shows both in the local area and nationally to try and promote Wrestlemania if he is doing that with someone that looks like Kevin Owens he is saying that our wrestlers are ordinary that's what he thinks it's the reason why Daniel Bryan didn't get pushed to the moon it just, you know, Austin is different Austin was the working man but he looked like he could hurt you with the bald head, the goatee beard in shape, oh, killer finishing move Austin was the ordinary working man but a tough one Kevin Owens isn't and this is all talking about Vince I think Kevin Owens is wonderful 
But this is what Vince will think. He does not want Kevin Owens sat on a sofa promoting it on a late night talk show in America. He's happy to Cena to do it because Cena looks the business. He's happy for Goldberg to do it because Goldberg is mainstream, taps into an older audience that remember Goldberg from the first time around and looks absolutely fantastic considering he's 50. Brock Lesnar looks like one of the meanest men on earth, probably because he is. People know him from his UFC days. People know him from his era in WWE. None of that applies to Kevin Owens. Now, some of it applies to Jericho, but even then, Jericho is not a big, tough guy. Jericho is an excellent entertainer, but he does not look come across as a big, tough guy, although he's a good representative for the company. That match doesn't work as a main event of WrestleMania according to the man that invented WrestleMania. And that is why Goldberg has the title. You can argue to the cows come home that this all should have been sorted months ago to try and work it in the right way. You can argue that this made Owens look like a chump. I don't agree. But... In analysing it, you can only say that the reason Goldberg has that strap, and the reason I think Lesnar will probably beat him for it at WrestleMania, is because those two are the credible to the outside world wrestlers, and Kevin Owens is not, because Kevin Owens is me. Lesnar has got to win that match. Simply, simple as that, because everything has been so skewed against him, he's got to win it just to make it interesting, I suppose. The, the thing is with, with WrestleMania is that every single year we have we have this this emphasis it seems on getting the the guys in that the casual fan will know and getting guys in that the older fans who may have disengaged from the current product back. So you know we've had I mean I remember my, my, my brother coming round and watching the WrestleMania that had Floyd Mayweather on. He's not a wrestling fan, but he loves boxing and he was intrigued by it. You know, he watched that. Did he watch US again after that? No. You get um, you know, people who come back to watch, you know, The Rock against against Cena or, or any of the other, you know, nostalgia or celebrity things going on. How many of them stick around to, to watch the next week's Raw or the next pay per view? None. You know the, the viewing figures across wrestling are are dropping, and it's basically what you've got now is a very much more concentrated, hardcore set of wrestling fans who will spend more money and watch streaming services and subscribe to things, and basically be able to have their niche interests catered for through paying a premium for a product, as opposed to um, the the general punter at large, you know, I, I think you know they've been saying this for years, but it doesn't ever seem to to pay off. And to me, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Well, that sounded like a literal mic drop as well, didn't it? At the end of that, but right, it was, uh, just uh, knocking the uh, table that my uh, my laptop is on. <laughs> hey, listen, some fair points. I'm not disagreeing with anything you just said, and um, I think all this comes in. It's a little bit like saying, well, how would you book Strowman versus Roman? And what you're saying is, well, I probably wouldn't have booked it in the first place. It's like you want to start at the point beyond the point where you're thrown in, don't you? And it's like, on the Strowman front, if I can briefly touch on that, is that I actually agree with how they've done it because I seem to be in, in an increasing minority, but I don't think Strowman's any good. Um, I think the way that they've built him has been magnificent. But to me, you build the big guy so that someone can knock off the big guy. To me, Strowman is, might as well be King Kong Bundy getting beaten by Hogan. It's just another one for the, the, the baby face to knock off. So if you're pushing Roman Reigns, I think the absolutely the thing to do is to build but, up Strowman and have Reigns beat him. Maybe but, not at the pay-per-view four weeks before WrestleMania that yeah. people aren't so fussed about, but I think it's the right position for him. 
I was going to no, totally agree on that front, but as I, yeah, as you just said, Hogan and Bundy was at WrestleMania, not Saturday main event a couple of months before. There's a time and place to do it, and Fastlane, I don't think, was that time or place, basically. No, it was, it was, it was possibly the Rumble, and, and but but they wanted to have both of them in as credible possible Rumble winners, didn't they? Because yeah. if, you're set, if you're set on doing Reigns versus Undertaker, it would be absolutely stupid to have Reigns lose beforehand. So I think they, in an <laughs> ideal world, WrestleMania would have been in the end, at the end of May, and then you could have done this match you know, now or in a couple of weeks' time yeah. and then have a little bit more time to build up, and it would have made more sense. But let, I don't think me, we should be too hypercritical of them for the decision, but it's just it's more their timeline, I think, that's the yeah. problem. Let me ask something. Uh, some, uh, when, when watching... Undertaker and Reigns and the reaction that Undertaker's chokeslam got it got me thinking. Do you think there is any chance that they will use this match to turn Reigns heel? Because I've said this for ages, and and The Rock is the perfect example of this. Where when he was Rocky Maivia, babyface shoved down people's throats, people rejected it. He was turned heel. He was actually given a bit more kind of free reign to let his personality come out. He then ended up evolving into you know, the most entertaining promo in the history of wrestling. I'm not saying Roman Reigns would do that, but at least he wouldn't be a vanilla, generic babyface. And then you could turn him back, and all of a sudden the people love him. Sure, what I don't understand why they haven't used the, the rock model on Roman Reigns. Also, you know, it opens up a top babyface spot for someone else to, to go up a level in the meantime as well. The fans get it all out of their system. He's actually able to respond to people and, and as I said, show a bit of personality. It, to me, it's win-win, apart from, I guess, the, the merch sales. I mean, are the Reigns merch sales that, that good? I, th- I think you're on the nail, you hit the nail on the head. I remember asking a question on the Hooked On Facebook page a few weeks ago exactly about this. You know, How many top main event faces can you name in WWE history that have had that accepted long-standing main event run as a face without first of having a successful run as a heel and we came up with three basically um jeff hardy ray mysterio bret hart all oh, i disagree about bret i disagree about bret he was the Hart foundation were a heel team for ages yeah but that was when he was uh, you know a bit further down the card i'm talking about a, a sustained main eventers first mm-hmm. um Hogan was Hogan was borderline main event when he was first in WWE um, he as a heel, as a heel. WWE and then he came back to the WWF as a baby you, face. you could argue Hogan definitely yeah. you could argue Hogan but the point Warrior. stands uh, yeah alright sorry there's a fifth right, yeah. you've blown my argument out of the water but but I even say that's a small number it is. It is. Actually, there's more than you think. Sting and WCW, there, there will be more than you think. It doesn't I was talking specifically WWE, because WCW had a very different model of building stars anyway. Okay, but the, the point is that there will always be... Except, because Just because we can name some doesn't mean you're wrong. No, it's, it's, sure. It, it, it's a, what it proves is that you, it proves you can do it in more than one way. And the way that they're doing it at the moment is not working. Now, I could be ever so slightly controversial here and say that in, in many ways, in an ideal world, in an ideal Rob world that the people wouldn't necessarily be so bloody stubborn because a lot of this we can't wrestle he can't wrestle Roman stuff you know they said about Cena and they were wrong weren't they and some of them still can't you know turn off the he can't wrestle thing about Cena and even though they've been proven for about a decade that it's wrong however 
you cannot convince that many people of one sort of thing and not enough of them will go okay eat humble pie I got it wrong so you have to go with what they're going with so I totally agree that the it's a great point I, th- I think I think I might have suggested this for last year's Wrestlemania that it was the, it was the time to do Reigns and Undertaker and have it go that way I think I suggested it a year ago and it's um, it's I do I totally agree with you and I think it would be a really good way of doing it and I'd, by the way I'd have Roman win Yes. And I don't care if I don't care if Undertaker's wrestling next year or not. I don't. You can, you can put a retirement thing on that one or the one after. I don't care. This, I this, would have Roman Reigns win yeah, this match. It makes perfect sense because we all know that you know Roman is is Vince's chosen one, and it would be the Undertaker, you know, kind of passing passing the torch. Um, I mean, you know, if it is if it is his last WrestleMania, he passes the torch to to um, Brock to to Roman Reigns. Yeah, yeah, you could have Roman Reigns win through you know, nefarious cheating ways of just you know losing losing his rag and just going you know going mental on Taker with a chair or something and just really actually getting the booze properly, and that could be you know he could be then the guy who retired the Undertaker and much like Brock Lesnar used the you know the twenty one and one as to get himself across as a heel. Roman could do the same thing about you know um, retiring the Undertaker or something, and you build you build it from there. Agreed. Um, in fact, I wouldn't I wouldn't even have the nefarious tactics. I'd have him beat him in a straight up one on one match, and then uh, when he's celebrating to you know a cacophony of booze at the end, Taker looks him in the eye, puts the hand out to shake it, and Reigns just gives him middle fingers and walks off or something like that, and that's his big that's his heel turn. Not beating him up, not using the chair, just you know, just a, a smirk and a smile, and he just ignores the handshake and walks away. Then you do Reigns versus Lesnar, because Lesnar's beaten Goldberg, and you have Reigns beat Lesnar, and then you have Reigns as the heel champion, and you can build up any number of baby faces to try and knock him off his perch. That's, to me, a, a perfect model. Because here's the thing, everybody Roman Reigns is really, really good. And I don't care what anyone says. His timing is excellent. He's smooth. He's crisp. I don't know about whether he hurts people or anything like that. I don't know. I've not been in the ring from that front, but I've never heard anything about that. I understand him to be quite safe. Um, he looks fantastic. He speaks well in media interviews. His style as a, as a, as a speaker is way more of a heel one than a babyface one. He is so well set. He would be an excellent world champion as a heel if we go with what we've just talked about there it is whether they want to pull the plug on it and, and go with it because I, I, my fear and again this is back into Vince's way of thinking my fear is who are the credible baby faces to try and knock him off his perch because Vince won't think about the kind of people that we will think about I have an idea of someone or at least a, a, a good contender that could maybe lose the first time and then win a second time maybe win it back by the following year's Wrestlemania which is Finn Balor but I worry that Vince won't look at Ed. there's there's no John Cena's. In fact, he may even work it to Reigns versus Cena at next year's WrestleMania, which is when Cena finally gets his 17th title. That wouldn't shock me at all. How about this for a scenario? So, for me, Lesnar Lesnar Goldberg is going to go less than five minutes. Um, fine for your main event of Survivor Series, not good for your main event of WrestleMania. I don't think that can be allowed. So, you need Roman Reigns Taker to be your main event, really. Um, and, have, and you need, in my opinion, a big moment to end that. Um, a handshake and a low blow, for instance, or, a, or the middle finger, doesn't cut it for me. How about, and I'm, I'm just kind of going with this off the top of my head, but how about something along the lines of 
keeps going up the, the Reigns taker match is going on and on and on and then eventually you get Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe coming out and helping Roman Reigns lay absolute waste to the Undertaker to the point where he has to be carried out on a stretcher and suddenly you've got quite a nice little trio um, which is already starting to build in terms of Owens and Joe um, ready to sort of take your past Wrestlemania season what do you think? Oh, I like it. it's, it's not the worst idea I've ever heard there's some holes in it in the sense that why on earth would they help Roman um, unless they were being dictated to by Triple H and well, why would Triple H help Roman who's been at odds with forever so there's lots of holes but I, I've heard worse ideas certainly by the way it won't be the main event Bro- Brock and Goldberg will be the main event Paul said you're you're risking things if you're uh, if you're going for a, a very short main event. I don't think that. I don't think that. I don't think that will bother them. I think that. Do you not do think? No, I don't. I don't see that it's a problem. I just think they'll have it go on and and brought with. Here's another scenario, right? And I don't think this is going to happen. But here's a for example. It's just it's come to my head. What if Brock Lesnar is done? That's it, and he's never going to wrestle again. And he is absolutely. I'm going back to my. Um, place in the hills in Nebraska or wherever it is and that's me going to be gone forever neither coming back not interested I'm done and we're all assuming that it was Goldberg catches him out of Survivor Series Goldberg catches him out of the Rumble Lesnar gets his revenge at Wrestlemania what if Goldberg just beats him again and it's another one minute two minute job and Goldberg just batters him again and that's Lesnar done and off he goes because Lesnar won't care about a legacy Lesnar won't give a shit about it being the last match he's ever had he'll take his money and go off and go home Heyman can still stick around if there's someone else that they can put with him to make him a big deal and then because Goldberg's clearly not going to be around forever then you beat Goldberg Monday night because it's much easier to beat Goldberg than it is to beat Lesnar if you put the belt on Lesnar then you've got to have a major pay-per-view match and you've got to have a major superstar to knock it off of Lesnar. Now, I would say they'll probably do that with Roman Reigns, whether it's at the next pay-per-view or one a couple down the line. That's the most sensible, credible, cogent argument. But what if they had Goldberg turn up on Raw and I think he might get booed on the Raw after after he wins at WrestleMania. So Goldberg goes out on his big WrestleMania win turns up at Monday Night Raw, holds the belt up, does a little mini one-night heel turn, and says, look, I've beaten everyone you've got to offer. Roman Reigns, uh, sorry, not Roman Reigns, uh, um, Brock Lesnar, bang. Kevin Owens, bang. I will do that to anybody. And then your new babyface world champion, let's say Finn Balor, comes out on Monday Night Raw, challenges Goldberg, and beats Goldberg. And then that's the the way you're getting onto your new champion. I quite like that as a scenario, because they do love a big... You know, splash of a story on the Monday following Mania, and also they they like to you know debut new people and hit the reset button a bit. I mean, one thing I've said as well about Finn Balor is I think when the Undertaker does retire, the big Undertaker WrestleMania entrance will be inherited by Finn Balor. You know, his mm-hmm. character is perfect for all of all of that. Um, but I mean, he he should be back in time. For WrestleMania, obviously, he's oh. not, I'm wondering if he's going to like win the Andre the Giant Battle Royal or something as a surprise entry. Lads, I've thought of a better one. Forget Balor being the man to win it on Monday Night Raw. You know who comes on Monday Night Raw and beats Goldberg? I know exactly what you're going to say. It's Shinsuke Nakamura. 
<laughs> Shinsuke Nakamura debuts on Monday Night Raw and wins the WWE Universal title on his first night, beating Goldberg. Oh, I hate when that happens, though. I don't like it. It's like, where can you go from there? I like people to be built up and... I, I like people to be built up and for things to take their time. Look at the reaction that the, the Jericho-Owens split has had. And the reason it's had that reaction is because it's been built up over eight months rather than eight weeks. Has Nakamura's been built up over a year on NXT? On NXT, but do everyone... I mean, I suppose... I was going to say, do everyone on who watch WWE main shows know who he is from NXT? But then it's the perfect time to do it, I suppose, because you've got your hardcore travelling fans who definitely know who he is. Exactly. I've, I've long had a problem. I agree with you broadly on what you just said there, so I am contradicting myself. I've had long had a problem when people have debuted. Like I can remember when I was a kid watching wrestling. Here's, here's the a great example of that. When Brutus Beefcake appeared on Monday Night Raw and got his face mashed in by Money Inc. I didn't have the foggiest idea who they were beating up because in the, I had only started watching wrestling about a year or 18 months before that and Beefcake had been out for that time and they'd never talked about him in that time and just suddenly this random appeared and they, these people beat him up and I went, well, why am I supposed to care about this? They didn't explain to me who it was. Fast forward many years when TNA brought in Rob Van Dam. Admittedly, Van Dam, you know, quite a big star of that era. TNA fans probably more clued into the wrestling business, but they didn't really explain who Van Dam was. Now they didn't have any footage, which probably didn't help. But they didn't sit you down and go, "This guy has done this. He's done that. He's done that. He's a star." They just sort of went, oh, "It's Rob Van Dam." And if you're a TNA fan only, you go, "Well, who's Rob Van Dam?" And they didn't do a very good job of introducing him right from the start. Now. If you're ever going to do that with someone like a Nakamura, and as you say, the casual fan might not know who he is, if he comes out on that Raw to an absolute megastar reaction, because he would get it, then you'd need Michael Cole or whomever to do a, a strong job of, this is who this man is. He's done this in Japan. He's done yeah. this in NXT. Look at their reaction to him. What an amazing, amazing athlete. Well, they did with AJ Styles. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. AJ Styles came in reaction it got the commentators lost their shit everyone was like wow this guy's got to be a big deal great example really and really good example he should be higher up I don't know where he's going to be in, in Wrestlemania but he should be higher up the card because you know, he's not in the title matches and you know this is the thing that if if you have got your your casual fans and I'm going to contribute myself now if you have got your casual fans watching who don't watch wrestling that much AJ Styles is one of the people who will catch your eye and make you think wow this guy's good I want to see more of him mm -hmm, totally totally although I will say I mean this it's not a uh, one for the purists in terms of how he's been built up and it looks like he's probably going to do something with Shane at Wrestlemania I will say and I think Paul's mentioned this on the podcast previously is that if you think this is a quote unquote burial of AJ Styles being further down the card and not getting a big match Vince would not put AJ with a member of the McMahon family um, and think of that as being a demotion they would think of that as being a big deal I think it's a good long term sign for AJ Styles if he gets to work with Shane at Wrestlemania not the best if he loses but I think just being in a match with Shane I think it's them thinking AJ's a big deal because um, a McMahon trumps all if, you, you know, if, you, if, you're a, if you're a card player and you, you, know, you play you know, various different you know card games where hearts is always trumps. It's like, well, the McMahons are the hearts, um, not the Bret Hearts, but the, the the hearts in the terms of the playing cards. They trump all. So you're better off being in a match with a McMahon than you are with a Chris Jericho, for example. So 
that it's not a burial of AJ. Don't say McMahon, McMahon trumps in the same sentence. It makes me angry. <laughs> By the way, I have to, one, one thing I've got to say is when you said about um, Strowman and Roman, that, that was great. I think we should have more rhyming matchups. <laughs> well, yeah. Rob loves a, that. Rob loves it. I do love it because there's a, there's, no one ever seems to know the song that I mentioned, but there's, there's an old Scottish song called Roman in the Gloaming, which I don't necessarily yeah. know what it means, but it's a good old Scottish song. And... I just, I, I, all I can hear is Roman in the Strowman whenever I hear that match. So, yeah. I just, uh, I, I know the song except for I then keep putting it to the tune of Clover Over Dover by Blur instead. <laughs> Not well, see, I'm unfamiliar with that one in particular. But um, I just want to, while we mention AJ, it's a good time to, um, to bring him into the mix because, um, will you have worked with AJ at some point in his, um, his yeah. appearances over here? Several times, yes. What's he, what's he like? What's he like? Yeah. Nice guy. Um, nice guy. So long as you don't get into a discussion about politics or religion with him. But oh, God, so that's true, actually. I'll come back to that in a minute, but carry on. <laughs> that's about a lot of people. Um, but no, very, very nice, friendly, polite, respectful, fantastic worker, level-headed, professional. Great, great guy, yeah. I, I realise I said that as a, what's he like? Like I was a child on Live and Kicking asking you that question. <laughs> But um, I, I have met AJ several times, and I, I, I do. I, I, obviously, I rate him as a wrestler. Um, he's always been a very nice and civil guy to me. Yeah. Um, I actually went to Ayr. Bear in mind, I live in Devon. I travelled to Ayr in Scotland to watch AJ Styles versus Noam Dar, um, because I did a whole series of pieces on it where I spoke to Noam before the match and after oh, the match, no. and I did a bit of promotion on it. And then I went up there and I did AJ. I not sure if it ever went out as a wrestlecast on the sun I think it might have just been on the one sided ring but I'm not sure I certainly went there with the intentions of doing it as a wrestlecast for when I was working for the sun um, and had a long sit down interview with AJ and he was tremendously nice but you're right I think the first thing he mentioned was something to do with Obama and you know this was before fortunately I'd put the mic on and actually started the interview but I think the interview went about 40 minutes but the discussion on Obama beforehand went about 30 and it was not popular on, you know, Barack Obama was not popular to AJ Styles. And I'm not a big politics guy, whether I, you know, even if I had a strong opinion, I would have had to shut up because I was doing my job. But yeah. I just, <laughs> I did not want to be sitting there. And so I probably just nodded along and just seemed incredibly right wing to um, to AJ, just agreeing with all the, the stuff he was going on about Obama. And this was long before Trump was on the scene. Um, but from a credible wrestling perspective, um, AJ was. A, an absolute professional that night um, mixed with people um, had a really great match with Noam Dar who was probably only about 18 at the time maybe 19 um, that was one of the, the features to me was this you know, real young up and coming British wrestler, Scottish yeah. wrestler that I thought was going to be someone and I'm so happy that he's on Raw, I mean you can argue until the cows come home about how he's been used but um, he's made it to the big dance and he's still not very old folks um, yeah. but I spoke to AJ after that match off the record and said, you know, what do you think? And AJ went, he is amazing. And like AJ was really, really glowing about Noam Dar. Yeah. So I knew he had a future because of um, what AJ, but AJ was first class that night. And he was a pretty big star at that point in in wrestling circles, you know, via TNA. It was before he went to New Japan, but yeah. um, I, I had a lot of time for him. Do, do you know, Noam Dar was the first person that I commentated on who was um, who I, I started in the wrestling business before he was born. <laughs> Made, he made me feel so old. Yeah, crikey, that's amazing. Yeah, um, I remember the first time I met him. When, yeah, he was wrestling on the um, the dark match of um, one of Mark Sloan's Dragon Gate shows, 
and um, he just came up to me and he was he was thrilled that I was commentating on his match because he was like I've heard he'd listened to me commentate like 1PW and stuff and he was, he was one of those oh it's really I've never met you before it's really weird to see to hear that voice coming out of someone because I'm so familiar with that voice and now obviously the, the tables are somewhat turned but I mean that's one thing Mark, Mark Sloney looked after the, the pro wrestling Noah and the Dragon Gate UK shows when you think about if you look back at the Brit, he'd often have British guys on the undercard um, or even in the, the main mix and the, the people that he had on those shows were um, well the guy who's now called Neville Ben Pack whatever you want to call him uh, he had Noam Dahl on a couple of shows he had uh, Jack Gallagher on a couple of shows he had Mark Haskins he had Marty Skrull he had El Ligero yeah, all these, these people who have done amazing things um, and, you know, it's, when you look back at the eye for talent that the, the guy had that you don't think of at the time it was amazing that um, Air um, Pro Wrestling Elite uh, show that I'm uh, referring to um, I, I remember speaking to Mark Sloan at that show he was up there and uh, was um, doing something Was it, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably botch the name of, uh, of his company but I think it was A Merchandise or something like that no, that's was, um, correct yeah. yeah the name of his and he was up there with A Merchandise and uh, I think he may have um Managed in a professional capacity, you know, on on air capacity, um, Lion Kid, and I think Lion Kid was working on that uh, show as well. Yeah. And um, oh. I remember, I remember seeing speaking to Mark Sloan that that night, and I think the uh, the basic um, crux of our conversation was how come Wes Briscoe, um, with a family so talented, is so rubbish. I think that was the uh, the uh, the crux of the conversation. But um, let's let's finish off this um, this little section and indeed this podcast by um, talking very aptly um, because you just brought up. Um, Neville and Jack Gallagher, as, as they are known, um, they wrestled on the uh, the Fast Lane pay per view. Uh, and while the pay per view at large is being slated, we have obviously done our own thoughts on it. I thought, I mean, I'm well, never quite sure how you can watch those matches as a Brit, particularly for you, Dean, who, who presumably you know at least one of them. Um, I don't know them personally, but um, I, I thought it was a really really brilliant match I loved the hell out of it I thought they were so yeah. good the pair of them and that's the Gallagher I want to see because he was quite I like the the tone of his promos and stuff but I don't like a lot of his matches where the first two or three minutes he's essentially taking the piss out of his opponent and I don't like it it makes them a bit it makes them feel him a bit I don't know I don't really like the tone of it but this he didn't he did, he did one or two bits where he got the better of them but generally speaking it was focused on his technical ability um, I love how they sell that headbutt of his. It looks, it's so different. Yes. Um, but generally speaking, I really love that match. I thought it did wonders for the pair of them. Agreed. I thought no, I thought that was fantastic. That was yeah, the crowd. The crowd really responded to that, and that yeah, that's what I've noticed. Even like on on Raw this week with Neville and, and Rich Swan, where the crowd don't seem that enamoured by it when they come out. Um, but then give it a couple of minutes, and they're they're eating out of their hand. They love it, you know, because these guys are just so talented. Um, no, I, I I thought it was it was a great match. Um, and yeah, I think yeah, as you said, because Jack Gallagher, a lot of his matches were starting to become very similar with, like you said, taking the piss out of the opponent. A bit of a homage to Johnny Saint thrown in there as well, and. And this actually had a little bit of a storyline around it, and it had it had intensity to it, and yeah, it had the title on the line at the end of the day as well. And it was, no, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And to see the two of them having a great match in front of an audience that size on worldwide television, 
um, you know, warms warms the cockles of my heart. I thought it was fantastic as well. I, you know, easily the best cruiserweight match since the cruiserweight tournament, like by a long, long way. And you know, I totally agree with your guys' points on Gallagher. It just seems like the silliness in the ring was just seeping in a bit too much, and they can really go there. Do you remember the original Kurt Angle character where he was a complete goofball until the moment he stepped through the rings and into the ring, and he was a killer? Um, they could do that with Gallagher so easily. Like, you know, he's the gentleman outside the ring, he's got his umbrella, he's getting up to all his antics. But then you get in the ring with him and he's going to twist you into knots until you're screaming in pain. Well, it's Regal. Um, that's, that's Regal. You know, yeah. They, they need to yeah, do it slightly it, differently, but, it's, but Regal is, point, the, is, the, is the basis of that. Yeah, I think, I think you're right in a way. I think Regal never emphasised it quite as much as, um, as Angle did. I think when Regal was serious, he was serious in and out. And when he was more of a comedy character, he was more of a, a baby face that was, that was lighter in the ring, by and large. But you, you, you've definitely got a point. But Gallagher can, that could, could potentially be a stepping stone for Gallagher to become a proper player in the cruiserweight division. I thought they were both fantastic. I think what they need to do with the cruiserweights is to look at the WCW way of doing things which is that I might be wrong here because it's a long time ago and I didn't I wasn't as much of a Nitro guy as I was a Raw guy but my recollection is that when they had the Cruiserweight matches especially at pay-per-views but also on, on Nitro with your um, your Jericho's Malenko's um, Eddie Guerrero Rey Mysterio Hoover Tude, Super Crazy whoever it might have been um, they gave them time and you're right about the reaction when they came out was nothing but the reaction when they had the match was something. What's mm. happening on Raw, for the most part, they had a longer one this week, but what's happening on Raw, for the most part, is they're doing their things on 205 Live, they're trying to carry it over onto Raw a bit, that they're giving the little, the, the, the Kendrick and Tozawa story, and the, the, what they did before with um, Cedric Alexander and, and Noam Dar, but they're having two three-minute matches, because essentially, well, we want to get it on Raw, but we want to get it out of the way. Yeah. And so it doesn't work because actually they're wrestlers and they're going to get over with their wrestling. And actually there are certain people that having three or four minute matches makes sense um, in terms of how quickly they beat someone or that, that, like a New Day or someone would, would benefit from having shorter matches. Not that they're not good in the ring, but New Day's character is all about the presentation, the talking, same with Enzo and Cass, um, which is a different conversation for another day. But I don't think that the cruiserweights are there for the, the storylines. Um, you can put them in I'm not saying don't have them especially they are quite, I quite like the idea of the, the Kendrick and Tozawa thing I think it's quite fun and a bit different but this is Wrestlemania season and they sort of go well we don't really want to spend too much time on Raw even if it's three hours mm. um, by doing this match which is not going to be on Wrestlemania um, so they sort of chuck it to one side and it kills it stone dead they, I think they spend more time dressing the ring and the ropes than they do having yes. actual matches yep. um, what I do love however is how they've managed to transition into something with Austin Aries, who I actually don't think was all that good on commentary. I seem to be, again, flying again in the, in the face of popular opinion there, but I, don't, I didn't really enjoy his commentary at all, especially given that I think he's meant to be a babyface challenger, and to me he was a heel commentator. Um, but I do like the fact that they sort of subtly dropped him in and then did the little um, video packages and have now have him get in someone's face. And I thought, that's a really, really nice way of doing it. And I've said this many, many times over the last year or two, but since, since NXT really has become a force and everyone's started to come through it, but who would have said, let's go back a few years, five years, say, four years, 
and say that in the build up to Wrestlemania we're talking about the fact that Kevin Owens has been the champion and should be in the main event arguably we're talking about AJ Styles wrestling a member of the McMahon family we're talking about Seth Rollins Tyler Black potentially wrestling a member of the McMahon family the legendary Triple H and we're talking about Puck versus Austin Aries you know, in terms of what they were called a few years ago potentially being on a Wrestlemania even if it's going to end up being on the pre-show and various others you know your Cesaro's and Samoa Joe even where he okay. is now I, I, can you believe that these kind of guys are all in these positions we, we do take it for granted yeah. I think sometimes because years ago we'd have said ridiculous won't even get a gig now they're yeah. taking up half the card and, and for me as well another one that really means a lot for me is um, is Fergal Finn Balor because he's a he's a Hamelot boy yeah yeah, um, you know, the, we 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 came, we were in the same, we're basically in the same place at different times. The first time I ever met him was at Andre Baker's funeral. He actually flew out from Japan to attend him, which tells you a lot about how highly he regarded Andre. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that's a great one for for me to see as well. And then, yeah, you've also got um, you've got you know Nikki Cross and um. Demo in in NXT doing really well as well. You know, there's loads of stuff going on. Then, you know, there's there, I think um, there's a couple of other Brits, female Brits that they're they're looking at quite closely as well that could could end up going over there this year. You've got Tyler. I mean, the I saw Tyler Bate and Trent Seven's match on NXT, um, and that blew the crowd away. And I'm kind of thinking, well, this is the kind of match we see in most places in Britain most weeks now, such as yeah. the quality of our wrestling scene that's right that is right I mean and you could literally very easily in terms of 205 Live or NXT you could very easily throw in I mean I know that people are under contract but you could very easily chuck in Marty Skrull and Will Ospreay and Zack Sabre Jr and various others couldn't you you could do a very good cruiserweight division just with British talent Almost as if they could do a, a weekly TV show just with British wrestlers. Well, <laughs> well, we'll see how that goes, and uh, we'll see if they get somewhere with it. I will point out for uh, we have talked pedantry on this podcast, and I will say that uh, for the pedants among the listeners, that uh, Dean and the rest of us know that uh, Finn Balor, Fergal Devitt, is not British; he is Irish. But the point stands that he was trained in England and credits a lot of his upbringing in terms of wrestling to um, as much to England, Britain as well as Ireland. So I we, think... Uh, we think of him as one of our own. Oh, and, and rightly so. And Seamus too, because Seamus spent a lot of time wrestling in England and Britain, I should say. And so, I mean, it's there are a lot of people that just assume that Ireland is the same as Britain, and it isn't. But certainly the British wrestling scene um, is pretty responsible for, for the developments of Seamus and, and for Finn Balor. And I think that's a... That needs to be said. Um, we started talking about the British scene, and we're going to end on it as well. But um, uh, in terms of um, that sort of representation, uh, Dean, we, we talked to Doug Williams on uh, the last podcast about you know the development in, in the time that he's been a wrestler. I would imagine that it, from when he started, from when you started, it's a pretty similar sort of um, timeline. So I won't ask you exactly the same question, but it must warm your heart to see so many people that you worked with that are doing really well and to see the current state because in terms of the promotions that are out there the, and the quality and the audiences that are, for example Doug talked about a, a show that he was on in, in, in Scotland last week for a company that you know I'm you know, hesitant to say I'd never heard of them and I don't mean that nastily but I hadn't but they're drawn like 500 people and in the old days that was you know, just 10 years ago that was a hell of a draw 500 now it's, it's just commonplace well first of all um, 
what you said about me and Doug, we actually uh, debuted in rest in the wrestling business per se on the very first show, and we travelled to it together. Um, so our our timelines are identical in that respect. Although um, he has travelled, uh, he, he's a bit more than me. But on the other hand, I've never jumped to a volcano, so it's you know uh, swings and roundabouts. But um, it's it's phenomenal. It, you know, the the thing is, when we started out in the mid nineties, um, I remember you know we'd be doing King of the Ring tournaments in front of you know seventy to hundred people in Folkestone or something, and it really was like British wrestling was on life support. It had come off the TV seven you know six seven years earlier. The TV stars, in some cases, were fading out or were wrestling more abroad, and really, you know, it wasn't in a good a good way. Um, and you know, it was kind of like this was this was the the, the dream that yeah, you know, we if we keep plugging away and keep it going, then one day it will get back to big time and it will get back on ITV and it will be mainstream and, and whatnot. And you know, I don't know what's going to happen with the world of sports stuff if it is going to come back. But you know, you've got WWE doing their stuff in the UK. You've got um, TNA now coming back to Spike. You had um, that uh, Five Star Wrestling doing their their show on Spike as well. It's 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 a great time. You know, it's a great time to be in in British wrestling. You know, I I still you know, I turn down more than I take up just because I don't want to get overloaded with things. I've got you know other other things to get on with in my life but it's yeah, crowd, yeah, crowds are up um, talent is up you know the thing is people have seen that um, yeah, you can get to the WWE you can get, become a professional and you can make a decent living at this um, and it's given everyone something to aim for because I mean I remember speaking I was interviewing Mark Vulnerable Rocco once and I said to him you know before the WWE was a realistic option like it is now. You know, what was what was your ambition in your career? And you know, and he said basically it was just to travel the world and, and put bums on seats wherever he went, draw a good house and get a good pay. Yeah, uh, which which of course he did in Japan, obviously, but uh, not not everyone has the uh, the um, the chance to do that. I think it certainly opened a lot more a lot more yeah. windows. I mean, he wrestled all over the world, but yeah, mostly in Japan, Britain, and, and continental Europe. And you know, nowadays it's different. And people, I think, because people see that 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 dream is attainable, and they've seen people, you know, they they may have you know they may have been a fan who who we often see a Pack or a Noam Dar or or Fergal Devitt or whoever it might be on shows and you know they've actually seen these guys go from the beginning of their careers to to getting to the WWE and it will inspire people you know and I mean you know when you're looking at, at the people on WWE cards now and you know, those names that you mentioned most of them have come over to Britain on independent shows you know Samoa Joe Kevin Steen as he wants to say and AJ Styles all so many of these people, Al Generico, Sami Zayn, you know, that, that came over as independent wrestlers. Um, well, Daniels, how long did how long did Brian Danielson spend here? A year, two years? He was, he was here for two spells of quite a long time, yeah. Because, okay. um, I mean, I remember he, um, I remember seeing him at the beginning of one of his spells when he first came over here, actually. And um, I was chatting with him, and he said, you know, he was he was going to um, go on the the holiday camp tour. And he kind of looked a bit puzzled, like, what's it all about? And I was kind of explaining to him how 
how the holiday camps here work. Um, and, and I basically said to him, the thing that people find is because you're wrestling in front of people who are kind of a captive audience who aren't necessarily wrestling fans but want to be entertained, you really have to work at getting the reaction, and it will, it will, you know, it will really help your. Everyone says it will really help. It really helps their character work. And you know, I saw him again a few months later, and I said, "Oh, how's it going on the camps?" And he goes, "Man, it's amazing." And you know, he basically reiterated everything I'd, I'd said to him. He, he picked me up, and and you know, look look at the amazing character work and connection with the audience that he that he had. Um, so. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. It's amazing to see what's happening, and, and I think you know, long may it continue. Absolutely, and uh, we'll conclude on Dean's rather heartwarming Brian Danielson story, which is better than mine, which involves sharing a taxi with him in Wolverhampton and then drinking Jack Daniels out of pint glasses. Um, but not because we were having pints of Jack Daniels, just because there wasn't any other glasses. Um, <laughs> lads, this has been uh, so much fun. This podcast we've gone way long, way, um, but, but that doesn't matter because. Uh, it's been loads of fun. I've obviously been rubbish and can't count and um, forgot where I was several times. But um, I was not the one that had to stop. I was not the one that had to stop halfway through the podcast for a bladder stop. In fact, I have been to the toilet during this podcast and you didn't notice. Um, so we will uh, we will wrap up with that appalling imagery. Um, but to say um, thank you, Dean, for joining God. us. Um, I know. Thank you, Dean, for joining us. Um, that was uh, excellent, and I'm, I'm hopeful that. Um, people listening will uh, take this as their cue to come along and see you in Brighton as well as the whole Hooked on Wrestling experience don't forget everyone it's um, lots of stuff going on before the podcast the quiz the fancy dress the wrestling music all that kind of stuff um, and then as soon as midnight hits it's on to Wrestlemania so it's very much a two part evening we've actually known people not many admittedly but we've actually known people to come to the first part and then leave just before midnight to get home and then watch the pay-per-view at home because they prefer to watch it um, in the comfort of their own uh, living room or something but they enjoy the pre-show stuff that's actually that's happened so um, um, you're free to do that if you wish uh, no discounts um, but uh, you're very welcome wherever you are um, if you can get to one of our Hooked on Wrestling parties um, the best way of finding out more about it is to follow us on social media and Paul is about to tell you how you can do that yeah mate uh, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash HO Wrestling or you can get us on Twitter at HO underscore Wrestling um, we're also on Instagram um, Hooked on Wrestling um, which I've never mentioned before but I'm making a conscious effort to try and push that a little bit more um, and then of course you can just um, follow us on iTunes SoundCloud and Podcast Republic as well there was an excellent yeah mate at the start of that which was a uh straight out of the um, the geezers playbook on that one but, uh, well done <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope you've had um, fun coming along and joining us Dean thank you for your um, your uh, impeccable judging um, on the Wrestlemania <laughs> mixtape um, who knows who it's going to be next time that's, uh, that's going to be judging mine and Paul's ludicrous competition but uh, um, like I say Dean's our host in, in Brighton um, and we, only, we are only having people as our hosts at the Hooked on Wrestling events and indeed as guests on this podcast uh, that we like uh, and that are within our Howe family and that um, we know um, can do justice to our brand, as it were. So uh, thank you for being part of the family and coming on the podcast. Hope you've had fun, sir. You just want someone to go to Monday Night Raw with you, don't you? I just want to go to Monday Night Raw. I don't even get tickets anymore. I used to be able to get tickets like that, mate. Now it's just not even, uh, it's not even on the radar anymore. But uh, just, Do you know what? If I get two tickets, then I shall take Paul. But if I get three tickets... Then I'll probably take someone else. But see if I get seven or eight, oh, you're probably on the list. Rob, Rob. 
would you like to go to Monday Night Raw with me? Yeah, maybe. I'll make it so. I'll make it so, John. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you, Dean. Indeed, and uh, thank you, everyone. Don't forget to follow us on uh, on Twitter and Facebook. Get your tickets for the Butch on Wrestling shows at ringsideworld.co.uk, and we will be back with another podcast next week. We'll be carrying on the road to WrestleMania. We just hope we don't have to get picked up by the AA and limp our way to our destination. But don't forget, this is Hooked on Wrestling. This is the Hooked on Podcast. This is wrestling, and you should enjoy it. See you next week. If uh, anyone derives any insight from this other than us, it's purely coincidental.